On this week's episode of the We've Seen That Podcast, we're talking about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I'm Scott. I'm Anthony. And I'm Jim. music we are back for episode 14 and by we i mean all of us once again guys how are we feeling i've never felt better man never yeah i'm excited yeah this is gonna be a great pod yeah it's it's a it's a group of three podcasts that we've got coming up here that's that's really gonna be like you know our fifty thousand fans are gonna be like can these guys you know really hang with the big guns and i think that we can i think that we can Oh, we've already been doing it, dude. Yeah. Um, also, uh, a little bit of an update. I tried to tweet at Marcus to sponsor us, and they didn't reply. From the podcast or your personal account? Both. <laughs> well, I, I can't. I can't fault you for trying. Yeah, I um, tweeted at Greg too, and he hasn't replied. So, so I'm not the only one who got ignored. I have a new idea. Marcus Theaters. Marcus Theaters. Marcus Theaters. Marcus Theaters. I think maybe that'll fix it we'll try it um also guys nobody can see this at home but check this out boys that's three dollars of snack cash right there in the flesh to marcus theaters that could buy you half of a large drink so that's better than real money yeah it is uh jim i want to start with this how did you rent this movie we'll talk i want to know this first i had to drag my ass out to the goddamn red box Okay, Anthony, last time you've gone to a red box, go. Um, definitely probably a sleepover at your house in middle school, probably after we rented probably Shaun of the Dead for like the thirtieth. So time. that'd be what, two thousand nine ish? God, probably earlier than <laughs> that. Honestly, I have no idea. Okay, so uh, a couple questions on that. One, how are they still in business? Well, they they have movies and people rent them. That's, That's generally true. their business model. They've expanded they, into video games. They have no overhead other than electricity. That's pretty much. Well, their I'm only. sure they pay rent to be at their locations, <laughs> but like this movie was not available to stream rent anywhere. Oh, I well, looked just all surprises over. me. Yeah. Well, I like, our one of our other movies was a stars exclusive so i bought the free trial and unknowingly forgot to cancel it so i got it for free <laughs> yeah because this one was on stars too right yeah, exactly so um yeah i did pay 9.99 for this movie basically let me just say though it was two dollars to rent the blu-ray from redbox which is cheaper than the four dollars it normally is to rent a newer movie from anywhere else so i mean yeah I had so, to drag my ass out in the cold, but I saved two dollars. So, so, right. so when Jim brought this up, it reminded me of Family Video, um, and I, I spent many a day at Family Video, boys. Uh, you, back in the day, we used to rent systems from there. Anthony, I know you recall because my mom would refuse to buy us a system, so we'd just rent it for five days. Which do you mean a video game system? Yeah, dude, you could you could buy the you could rent the whole fucking thing. I couldn't believe they did it too. Five How days. many times over have they made their money back on those things? That is 
ridiculous. It was $20 for five days, if I recall correctly. I think that was Probably it. something, because at the time it would have been only like a 360 or a PS2. No, no, it was it was a PlayStation. It was a PlayStation. Oh, God, so you're going way back. Yeah, and... Wait a minute, we, and so, like, was this once the PlayStation 2 was out, they were having you rent PlayStation 1s for $20? I don't know if the PlayStation 2 was out yet. Uh, I just remember playing a Scooby-Doo game on PlayStation. That's all I recall. So, but, <laughs> I, I digress. I want Glad you picked to... a good game to play on it, too. So, I'm giving you shit for going to Redbox, but I used to go to Family Video, and, I mean, even past when I was 18... And that's when I got my own membership there in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Okay. I was in line and a woman was at the counter and they said, do you need anything else today to her? And she's like, nope, that'll be it. And then, so there's always like this wait at family video when you're like, are they going to bring up my late fees or not? Like, am I going to get away with it? You know, because <laughs> everybody's always got like $5 on their account, right? Always. I'm sti- Even if you don't, I'm convinced they just say you have late fees. Right? Yeah. Which is the Seriously. biggest c- bullshit on the planet of the earth. Because I've always thought about like the mega late fee, right? And I'd never seen a live example. But this guy goes to this woman you actually have a balance, and he, like, pauses. He pauses for a second, and he goes, $188. And I'm sitting there oh just my losing God. my shit behind this woman. <laughs> and she goes, oh, yeah, that's my ex. So I'm, like, the best what? form of revenge of all time. This man, like, <laughs> held on to, like, George of the Jungle on DVD, and is just holding it forever. <laughs> and play- And family video, like... The value of the movie is $9. They're saying, fuck that. We're getting the full amount of money out of these people. And this woman then goes, I'll pay $5 on it. And that is oh, how wow. she walked. They, <laughs> they let her rent a movie and just walked out of the store with $183 account payable to family video. I It just amazing moment in movie renting history i will never see it again i'm convinced what a great petty revenge story i love it did it on purpose like i'm i'm keeping that in mind if i ever need revenge on someone i'm renting a video in their name yeah yeah i have another pretty funny story so my dad we you know my uncle greg scott so we always rent movies like when he was in town so I think I was with Greg coming home from, like, we went out to dinner or something, and my dad must have stopped in at Family Video because that's what we would always do. We'd go in and rent a movie and watch it at night or whatever when we get home. So I don't know if we went and did something, but I'm with Greg, and we swing into Family Video to get a movie. We pick out a movie, we go up to the counter, and Greg would always just say my dad's name just because, you know, they don't really check anything. They're just like, oh, Jim Wiltinger, put it on that. (laughs) <laughs> and he walks up there and I'm standing next to him. And they're like, uh, Jim Wiltinger was just in here. So who are you? <laughs> My dad had showed up like 10 minutes before us and rented a movie. <laughs> and Greg walks in trying to be him. It was hilarious. Well, uh, even, even better. Like the guy actually gives a shit about which account you use to rent a movie. Like right. this, isn't, this isn't the FBI. This is family video. But like to rent a movie, you have to be a part of this exclusive club that's free it makes no sense whatsoever so it's so they can keep track of your 180 dollars in late right and and then i think back to like 
as a kid, I would always like complain to my mom to get candy, the most overpriced candy on the planet, because they charged movie theater price on their candy because they wanted to be cool. Like, just unreal. Um, family video, if you're listening, I don't want you to sponsor this podcast. <laughs> uh, Unless I, we get Marco's Pizza out of it. Oh, okay with that. <laughs> unlimited movie rentals. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there you go. Whatever. <laughs> I don't know how, now better yet, I don't know how they're still in business, but I'll tell you what, Anthony, what you just said, Marco's Pizza, not uh, too shabby, okay? I think it's kind of underrated. It is. I don't is. know how you guys feel. It, I've it never is. had it. Oh, it's pretty good. Jimmer, when I give moved it a here, shot. it was the first time I had ever seen a goddamn family video. I can't believe they still exist in the Fox Valley for whatever reason. So I've you... never had a, a reason to go to the Marco's Pizza. Have you noticed what else they tend to be subletting their space for now as well? CBD. CBD. Like every family video, it's pizza, CBD, and movies, and I think they're targeting an audience. That's what they call diversifying, <laughs> no. Scott. I, I love it. I love every second of it. Um, but I have led us down a path, and we need to get back on the rails here because uh, we're, we're going to skip what we're watching this week because it was a big movie. It, uh, it, it it took a long time to watch. I, I don't know if, if most of you know this, but it's about a two-hour and 40-minute movie. Uh, Cassie likes to remind me of that because I have actually made her watch this three times now. So Love it. She does not like this movie. I'm mm. going to <laughs> throw that out there right now if she's listening. Cause, and actually, I'm going to call her out right now. She doesn't listen. So I can say whatever I want on this pod. That's kind of the idea behind it. So, Cassie, I'm calling you out. I don't know what to say to call her out. But I'm calling her out. It's My okay. Angie's listened to exactly zero minutes of the podcast as well. I, I get it. If you don't like the movie, it doesn't really make sense why you listen. If you don't like movies, it also doesn't make sense why you listen. But anyway, it's the high porn. That's always fun, though. We're doing high porn this week anyway because, guys, a lot of fucking shit happened. Uh, <laughs> we got off the uh, the record last week. The record. Jesus, uh, I don't know what that. What am I saying? Uh, but we I'm just making shit up now. <laughs> you think I might be? Uh, we got off the pod last week, and boy, oh boy, Disney dropped a nuke on the entire population. Um, Marvel and Disney both announced like t- ten things each. I think it was. Uh, it was GM... ridiculous. There's like fifty total announcements all rolled into. So one. Let, let's do this. Over the three episodes, we'll uh, we'll reveal a little bit of each. So. What, Jim, what of all the things that came out are you, like, the most excited for? Because I wanted to talk about one thing on here, and that is the Hayden Christensen uh, coming back as Darth Vader. We had talked about this on a little side conversation, and Jimmer, what you said, uh, if they're not bringing back James Earl Jones's voice, you're fucking out. Is that yeah. correct? Yeah. yeah. Okay. It's a full body costume. It doesn't matter if they fucking put me in it. It's all about the voice, man. (laughs) That's true. That's true. But I think, I think that if you could make Hayden Christensen a more darker character and we could see that happen, it's okay if he doesn't sound like James Earl Jones. What? You think they're going to flash back to pre-suit Vader? Well, I thought that... No, they can't, because he he gets fucking barbecued in episode three and immediately goes into the suit. There's not really, like, an in-between that they can show us. So that's fair. So there's really no point of this. Yeah, I'm going to stand behind my statement. If James Earl Jones doesn't come back, I don't care. And 
to kind of just play like middleman at the same time. It's like excited that they're keeping character continuity with Hayden Christensen, but at the same time, it's like, well, if he's going to be full suit, exactly. I want to hear James Earl Jones and that classic Vader voice, like to just really put me into the show. Like it's going to be tough. I wonder if they'll, they're going to have to alter it somehow if they decide to roll with just him. Because otherwise, it's so pointless just to have Hayden Christensen if he's going to be covered up the whole time. And then if they use James Earl Jones' voice, why even bring Hayden Christensen back? Right. Right. And so um, Adam actually tweeted after I sent this tweet out from the podcast. um, And he said that apparently the voice at the end of episode three is not actually James Earl Jones. It's Hayden Christensen's voice modulated to sound like uh, to sound like James Earl Jones and I'll say it was it was all right but and I I did not know this fun fact but I think when you play them side by side it does sound off you know compared to James Earl Jones and I still think I would prefer to have the real OG back for it so they modulated his voice to sound like someone who was still alive yeah, but you also have to think at this point, uh, Mufasa demands a large paycheck. Oh. Oh my god, is that James Earl Jones too? Yes, yes sir. <laughs> is he the most famous voice in the world? Mark Hamill might be coming for Ooh, that Mark Hamill, role. that's true. As a voice actor, I should say. Dude. Maybe not the most recognizable, but he's got a lot of characters under his belt. Dude, that's he... absolutely true. Yeah, he yeah. played Chucky. I don't know if you guys saw that newest version of uh, Child's Play, but he was the voice, and it was actually not bad. He's also Joker in a bunch of stuff, and he's awesome. Yeah, he's great. He just seems like a cool guy. I, we're going to get into Mark Hamill being a cool guy next week, but I think he's a cool guy. <laughs> uh, I'm reading through this list right now. Holy shit, there's a lot of stuff on here. Like, what? Yeah, we'll go with the things I highlighted for this okay. week, and we're going to fucking pound through them quick. Okay. Okay. Uh, give me fast reactions. Disney owns Fox. Fox owns FX. Four more seasons of It's Always Sunny. Love. Love. Okay. Alien series in development based upon the uh, the movie series. Love. Super hyped, super nervous. Yeah, it could <laughs> fucking be a bomb, but I, I agree with you, Anthony. Yeah, I mean, I would die. It sounds super interesting. Like they, I know I'm kind of lagging on this one a little bit, but I just love aliens. So um, it sounds like... Ridley Scott may be involved as an executive producer, which would be awesome. Um, and then it's supposed to be set on Earth, not too far in the future, which mm-hmm. would be different. That's code for cheap sets because they True. don't need to well, make things too. look advanced. True. True. Right. <laughs> I agree with that, too. <laughs> okay, next one. Uh, Pixar announced that Chris Evans is going to be starring in an animated, like in a Pixar animated movie as Buzz Lightyear, not the toy, but the made up man who inspired the toy. I'm out on that one. Holy shit. So are they just making that up or was that always a thing? What do you mean? That was always a thing. Well, was Buzz like, was it supposed to be known that like in toy story that Buzz Lightyear was a real human? I don't think it was supposed to be known, but I don't think it's a large leap, right? I suppose, but... I don't know. I think this sounds fucking stupid. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about that. And the fact that it's not Tim Allen is ridiculous. Is is he going to be, like, flying around and shit? Like, what are we doing? It's the fuck out of me. 
Oh yeah. my god. Apparently, but like after this announcement came out, Chris Evans had to like tweet out and make the specification that he's not playing toy Buzz Lightyear, that he's playing the real person. So like the messaging on this was incredibly confused from the get-go and Chris Evans had to step in. Okay, right. but but has Pixar ever made a bad movie? The Good Rarely. Dinosaur. I have heard that that is actually a very good movie, Jim. We may have to do it for the pod so I can give you all my stuff, because I have not watched it since it came out, because I did not like it. Okay, all right. Um, And believe me, this is no knock on Chris Evans. I love Chris Evans, but like, whenever you try to do something with such an iconic character, whether it be a toy, it doesn't matter really. It's like, I don't know, it's going to be weird. I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah, yep, I agree. Alrighty, next one. Uh, Disney, having acquired Fox, now owns the rights to Fantastic Four and are going to reboot it in the MCU. Good, because these movies have never been done justice. And I think it's I think it's a very high potential franchise. I agree. It looks like it could be a good franchise, but when it comes to like the little bit of like really hardcore lore I know about them... The Fantastic Four is a campy series from the get-go. You know, it's just kind of weird. You know, and right. I, that's why I don't think it lends itself to the screen super well. Well, yeah, I mean, I'd be interested to see how they interact with, like, because they do a lot of interactions with, like, Spider-Man. I know in one of the old Spider-Man games I had for, like, PlayStation 2. Do you remember that one, yep, Scott? Yep, you <laughs> get Doc help. Doc chasing you through the hallway. Yeah. Um. You meet up so with some of the Fantastic Four characters. Um, so I don't know. If if done correctly, I think it could be pretty good. So right. yeah, I think we'll they're rolling away from like the team-up movies being the Avengers, and now they're working towards some other sort of team-up, right? Because I've heard all the spoilers about Endgame. Lots of characters either died or have stepped away from their roles. They're retiring from being heroes. So the Fantastic Four has always been a big team-up thing. And that's Dude, kind of, right. I think, what they'll Wait, do. Wait, you haven't seen Endgame? No. What the fuck? <laughs> Are you serious? I'm still working my way through. If we had done what we're watching, I watched uh, Thor The Dark World and another Marvel movie. Trying oh my to work God. my way through. I knew you were DC, but goddamn, Jim. Okay, yeah, that makes sense, actually. I don't know why I'm surprised. Anyways, last piece of the Disney announcement hype. There's more hype after this, rest assured. Um, (laughs) Black Panther 2. Chadwick Boseman will not be recast. I also read today he will not be remade in, like, CGI. So either they've got footage already or they're going to have him be off screen, right? Because obviously Chadwick Boseman unfortunately has passed away. In the comic books, apparently his younger sister Shuri does at some point take up the mantle. Thank you, AJ, for telling me this because I didn't know. Mm. How do we feel about this? I think it's super, super cool yeah. um, to get a female leading hero. I'm worried about how they'll deal with Chadwick. Yeah, well, I have a flaming hot take that a lot of people probably aren't going to like. But first, I'm going to say Fast and Furious did this with Paul Walker, basically. Like... Not not the same, not nearly to the same level of how big this... Well, you know, the Fast and Furious movies are pr- pretty fucking no, big. No, Black Panther was so much bigger, dude. Like, uh, yeah. Internationally speaking, I think... Oh, anyway, Flaming Hot Take Time, I watched the Black Panther after Chadwick Boseman died. I 
liked the movie a lot, but it's not like my favorite like Marvel movie. It was really really good, and Chadwick Boseman was good, but like I I don't know I I'm not like super hyped for Black Panther two, and especially since Chadwick Boseman isn't going to be in it because I thought he was one of the best parts of it. Um, I'm not not I. Is what's his name still going to be in it? Michael B. Jordan. Well, I don't know. Huh? As far as we know. Oh, that's right. He dies in that movie. Yeah, and yeah. I I really do like Michael B. Jordan. But I will say for like what that movie did at like for the future of superheroes, like just for the future of our world, was amazing. But again, I just don't think it was that good. Am I wrong by saying that? I've only seen it once, but I tend to agree. Yeah, I agree. I mean. It's unfortunate that he had to pass away. So I like the fact that they're gonna go forward, and I and like Jim said, I'm just interested to see how they how they do it, whether or not it's his sister that ends up taking over. I heard also that one theory would be like since they have opened this whole world of you know the well Jim hasn't seen Endgame, but you know the time travel quote unquote, um, you know it's possible that. Michael B. Jordan's character could come back at some point and even become the Black Panther, but who knows? We'll see what they do. But that's just kind of like somebody's theory that I've I've read about. But um, yeah, I don't know. Not my favorite, but like like you said, I mean, I'd see it. I'd more or less just really interested to see how they continue it into yeah. the MCU. Yeah, I will say, like, just from a visual standpoint, like I do love, like I loved almost everything about the Black Panther as. As in, like, all like costuming and setting, everything. Like, loved that about it. I loved the music because it's like mostly Kendrick Lamar, and it wasn't. Well, he wrote a, one song in it, and then uh, like just the whole soundtrack was just badass. So, uh, but really, like, I just don't think I was blown away by the acting. Like Michael B. Jordan in that movie was very, very monotone. Like, just I'm shredded, ripped. And I'm just going to talk. Which, he can get away with that. Because, like, he was fucking shredded. Like, <laughs> it was unreal. But I, I just, again, just, it wasn't... People are going to be mad at me for saying this. I almost guarantee it. I, I bet AJ... Is AJ a big Black Panther fan? I'll be honest, I don't remember. Somebody's going to kill me for this one. I'm sure of it. But I, it's still a good movie. It's okay to, you know, have an opinion. Anyway... I have a shout-out to do. Yes, you do. Okay, so, uh, Cousin Julia. I am shouting out Julia, who is Anthony's sister. Um, and I did not think of what to say, so Anthony, start the clock. Okay, good, buddy. I am on the clock. Um, Julia, I appreciate your support of the podcast in a way I think, is it mandatory that you listen probably but it kind of seems like it kind of seems like you're actually interested in it and i appreciate that i appreciate whenever someone can specifically point out something in an episode now julia did point something out to me and that was to point out that she hadn't gotten her shout out yet so (laughs) still technically means she's listening to each episode um i have like a couple of stories i wanted to tell that involved alcohol um but i'm Uh, i'm tending um, to to side on not telling a couple of them 
I'll save you a couple seconds, Scott. I'll plug in here. I believe she has listened to every single one. Whoa! Yeah. I am a fucking asshole for even doubting your ability to love our podcast. One of 50,000 people. It must feel awesome. You're one of 50,000, but you feel like one of 50. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe 25. Um, (laughs) But, but, uh, Julia, I appreciate your support of Anthony. I I need a time check. (laughs) You got like 40 seconds. Oh my God. (laughs) Um, Julia, uh, you, you, um, (laughs) <laughs> what beautiful sentiments um yeah uh you're a great cousin one of the best i'll call you the best i don't know whose toes i'm stepping on there who i might... think she wants to do an appearance oh okay you can come on the pod there uh just tell us what movie you want to do and we'll have you on um i don't know i what... already know what movie she wants to do but okay what would the movie be <laughs> eight crazy nights oh Adam my Sandler. god <laughs> okay that, that but uh you're you got two minutes bud okay uh julia i again appreciate your listen and um i hope that your life is going great <laughs> i struggled so hard so in that sincere one. she's gonna be so pissed. much love much love <laughs> okay it's that time of the show and i Guys, I'm going to do a What do you mean? Ha- There's multiple other hype horns here, dude. Holy shit. Okay, Jim, this what This is else what is happens on- when you don't read the outline. <laughs> what else is on our hype horn? For fuck's sake. Okay, so we have two quick sad hype horns. The first one is Henry Cavill filming scenes on The Witcher Season 2, injured his leg, and is out of commission for a little while. Filming will continue for scenes that he's not in, though, so it's not a total, like stoppage this was ridiculous like i won't well i guess no offense i guess i don't really know how bad the injury or what it was but like i was flipping through snapchat today and i came across ign thing and the title of their like snapchat story was sad news to the witcher filming with henry cavill i'm like what the fuck he's not fucking dead something like terrible happened and i'm just flipping through and he's like suffered an injury we're still filming, you know. He, like, strained he, his, his leg. Scenes. It's not even a broken leg. Yeah. I'm like, what in the hell? You just, it's clickbait, you know, 2020 just in a nutshell. But, yeah. yes, I'm glad that he's okay, and I'm glad they're con- able to continue, like, most of the other filming. But I'm done. That's yeah. all I had to say. Um, right. I, I'm super hyped for season two. I uh, need to add something to Hype Horn. Just slash something that made me want to run through a brick wall. Wants to cut off the end of hype horn, but then has the audacity to add something. I remembered something we had to talk about. Boys, did you see Tom Cruise's meltdown? <laughs> I listened to it. Yes. Oh my! Did you God. see? I okay. sent it to you. It's so bad. Uh, I don't think it's bad. I really don't. I think that Tom Cruise is a is a is a G and a hero for that fucking speech. We need new movies. And and these fuckers are messing it up, and just go listen to it. I but don't know. I but yeah, go ahead, Jim. But supposedly what? the only thing they did wrong was stand within like two meters of each other. It's not like they were going out like partying, anti-masking, or anything like that. They stood too close to each other. So two meters is not six feet, right? It's approximate. Okay. So then, what? What's the big deal there? I. I 
Well, that's the social distancing thing. I don't know. I just loved, like, how he was like, we need to put food on people's table. Like, he was getting (laughs) into it. One meter is 3.28084 feet. So, okay. I mean, I guess we're stay seven feet apart. I don't know. Um, But I I just loved his energy. What can I say? And I understand it to some degree, too, because he is a producer. So he has... Beyond his own paycheck for starring in it, he has a financial motive. Yeah. But this feels really blown out of proportion for what I read happened. Mm. Yeah. And those people he then seems... quit the movie. Did they really? Yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so well, so he went from going to fire him and they just said, well, fuck this. But <laughs> if someone yelled at you <laughs> he... like that, I'd fucking quit. I know. he call you out in front of the whole set. I mean, this have you guys heard the... Um, Christian Bale one. Oh yeah, Terminator set. Oh like, my years god, ago. that one's bad. Yeah, that Terminator <laughs> Salvation movie that they that he made, he blows up much like this, but worse on a, on a couple people. But it's really bad. Calls them amateurs constantly. You f- yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's, this just made me think of that so much. But like, it gives you an insight though into how these people are handling this. Like, aside from hearing Christopher Nolan like call out hbo max and warner brothers you know we actually get to listen to like tom cruise who like you said jim is also a producer and like the importance of being able to produce these movies you know and and not have any setbacks and in the biz the industry is dying you know in a sense right now at least theater wise so it's it's kind of interesting and i get where he's coming from but he, he may have stepped over the edge just a little bit I right mean, yeah, it, it, it was a little aggressive, but again, just like when he kept saying, we are not shutting down, I was excited. I don't know. <laughs> he, he, I read some comments that said he needs to be like a football coach like yeah. yesterday. yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, we all sure. know that movie's going to be a fucking blockbuster too, right? Oh, so sure. like, I don't want to wait longer for it. Yeah, right. Oh, I have a question. He at one point in that rant was saying, that means even you... Who do you think he was pointing at of all the actors that are in, like... Well, it was, it was like, crew, not actors. Oh, so so this person must have been pretty important when he kept going, even you. He mentions it, like, three times. So I, yeah. I was sitting here thinking he's pointing at Simon Pegg or something. Well, I just picture, like, two, like, light holders or something that are just, like, background guys just getting their asses chewed by one of the biggest stars in Hollywood. You can't recover from that. I know. If not, maybe the biggest. Like, it's absurd. Arguably. Yeah. Anyways, last piece of hype. Um, Johnny Knoxville and Steve-O were sent to the hospital and filming was halted on the second day of filming Jackass 4. The last one came out in 2010. Is this I even, don't mean to laugh. Is but... this even news? Like, yeah, duh. <laughs> it's probably part of the movie. Yeah, I'm, I'm so is. fucking psyched. I didn't even know they were doing this, but something no. about Jackass gets to me. Makes yeah, me laugh it, until I cry. Yeah, it's just dudes getting hit in the nuts. It's what we thrive on is comedy. <laughs> it is just, you know, in a time where we find it hard to laugh, leave it to Jackass to kind of bring us all together. Yeah. So uh, I, I hope they're okay. But it really, I mean, is that a surprise to anybody no. that that could happen to those two? Like, Just to, how no, the, the real surprise it? was that they're making a Jackass 4, well, right? That, right? That's the I true no piece idea. of news here. How right. serious is the injuries, do we know? They got sent to the hospital. That's it? That's what I know. 
Well, that could be anything. They could have got what bit I by know. a snake or something. I bet you it's a snake bite. Oh, jeez. I just venom was going through their veins, and they had to go to the hospital. I was thinking like a testicle reascended or something like that. Oh yeah. my god! Impact. This is probably just an elaborate promotion for the film. It could be. I right? mean, yeah, Johnny Knoxville and Steve O are like we're I fucking would forty years old. Them. We need a couple days off. You would want yeah. a podcast talking about it that has fifty thousand followers for sure. Well, right. Yeah. So okay, Jim. I apologize for cutting off high porn early, but now... I forgive you. We can move I on. I am giving the reins of hosting to the second most handsome man in the podcast trio here. Jesus. Uh, who's I, first? Throwing yourself who's under the bus here? first? I, I, Jim, you're number one. So, um, Damn without... Right. Without further ado, Anthony, talk to us about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Well, I don't really want to step on anybody's toes. I'm just going to – we're going to try to do something a little different because you guys can agree there's a lot in this movie. Uh Uh-huh. So I'm going to kind of lean on you boys a little bit here. We'll just kind of go through – what I did was set up main points, so like the main scenes like switches – and I don't really want to go – I'll kind of talk about what's going on, but I don't really want to read through, you know, word for word, for lack of a better term, of what exactly is happening. I'd like to hear what you guys kind of just reaction to each scene sort of thing. Like so, a conversation. So basically I asked Anthony to um, take over this week, and he said, perfect, yeah, sounds good. And then he just just threw apart all my ideas of the entire podcast and said, you I know what? I don't think – that's at all what i'm doing i think i'm trying to make light of a very long and tedious movie that we need to discuss he did say tedious because i'd like to bring that up later oh Oh, geez okay jimmer we're gonna love this anyway jim can you give us the synopsis sir yes changing tabs A faded television actor and his stunt double strive to achieve fame and success in the final years of Hollywood's golden age in 1969 Los Angeles. I think Written and directed by Quentin Tarantino, starring Leonardo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt, and Margot Robbie. Anthony, before you go on, I just want to say, I think we're coming into our own where, like, we are just comfortable saying whatever on this pod now, (laughs) and that means it's only going to get better. So I just want you to stay tuned. That's all I want to say, because we're just going to keep getting better. Perfect. Well, I'm ready for any hot takes. Yes. Absolutely, especially in a movie like this. All right. Well, from the jump, we are introduced to Leonardo DiCaprio, a.k.a. Rick Dalton, playing Jake Cahill in the TV show Bounty Law. So this, the movie starts out with, like, a commercial for it. You know, like an old... Like, even the screen is, like, cut down to, like, a like a 16-inch tube TV like you'd see back in the day. And it's all black and white. And it's just, like, a commercial for this TV show, Bounty Law, that shows Leo's character, Rick Dalton, playing this character who's probably pretty famous at this time. You know, it's one of the big cowboy shows. Um, and then it cuts to Brad Pitt, Cliff Booth, and um, Rick on the set of the Alan Kincaid show. I'm not quite sure if that is a real thing from the 60s. It very well could be. Um, but yeah, they're both sitting there, like, kind of in the chairs talking about what, you know, a stuntman does for, for an actor. And it's just, I thought it was some pretty funny commentary here between the two, like, especially 
you know, just Rick talking about how he could get hurt and like Brad just, or Cliff Booth just kind of carries his load, <laughs> you know, just the way they say it, it's, it's just kind of funny. what do you guys think about that opening part? Yeah. Uh, just like a, a little rewind. I loved the, the Western style scene of Leo with the, uh, reloading the pistol and just capping like six dudes. So he was, yeah. and then he's pulling back on the, the trigger. I loved that. But, um, I just, I liked how it put you directly in the 60s right off the bat. Like, when it showed the advertisement for NBC, I was like, sheesh, I've never seen that on TV. And I'm like, well, yeah, because it was the 60s. So you're just really put directly into the story um, time period right off the bat. And, and I love that. I agree. They do a really good job with this interview scene and with showing you the set, obviously a very popular genre at the time it immediately sets you in the 60s. And I think that's one of the best things about the movie is how solid and centered you are in knowing exactly what time period you're looking at. Yep. Right. I mean, that, like, it's so important for a movie, you know, once you kind of see it now through, like, it's a period piece, you know, for lack of a better term. And they do such a great job from the get-go, at least just setting you up for what you're about to watch. Um, Yeah. And, and, and right. like, to get into the title of the movie right off the bat, like, I, the, the, this is my third time watching this, and the third time through, I'm finally, like, it really is, like, once upon a time in Hollywood. Like, it's just a story the entire movie, and, like, even right out the bat, you're getting, like, just directly into it, and you feel... Like, you're in a story the entire time. So, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know right. if I can explain that better, but, like, it just, it, it really is, you know, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, you know? Yeah. I mean, to help you out, it's like, because Rick Dalton and Cliff Booth are not real people. Right. So, it's, you know, Once Upon a Time, there was these two guys, and this is what they did. And, yeah. You know? Like, yeah, it's, for sure. It just does a great job from the get-go of kind of putting you in that time. So, yeah. Anyway, moving on. Um... We immediately cut to Cliff and Rick um, driving to a meeting. Um, first off, I'd like to point out I love the soundtrack of mm-hmm. this movie. It's top um, notch. It's it's anything you'd expect from a Tarantino movie. You know, the music is right on point with the time. Um, it fits every scene. Uh, just really great. Um, we kind of get a look, our first look at Margot Robbie too, as it kind of cuts during the scene as they're driving to their meeting. Um, she plays obviously Sharon Tate. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to point out like at this point we see like two very different careers. We see Rick and Cliff going to like this meeting at this restaurant and we see Sharon Tate in this airport coming back from Europe with her husband, Roman Polanski. Um, and they just, She's followed around by the paparazzi. It seems like she can't get away. She's, like, eating up the, the spotlight. And we have Rick, like, the description of the movie says, a faded actor kind of meeting some producer in, like, a... not I don't want to say a rundown restaurant, but, like, there's no paparazzi there, you know? No one's really trying to get a snapshot of him. And I think that was just an interesting dynamic that they just started right from the top. Yeah. Um, with, with that, too... Uh, a lot of a lot of uh, Quentin Tarantino movies um, to get a little uh, so more recently get a little bold with like kinds of camera angles that they take, and the car scenes were something 
Like, you were literally in the back seat every time with someone while they were driving. So while while they're while the story is continuing, like it seemed like Tarantino wanted you to literally like be on the set the entire time. And someone in the set would be in the back seat. You know, like you're still in the car moving along with the story. It was almost as though they were filming the movie and you were part of the crew, right? Yeah, right, right, right. Or at least that's what those few scenes tried to portray. Yeah. And I, I would tend to argue almost that some of my favorite scenes are when we're in the car with whether it's brad and leo or rick and cliff or just cliff who does a lot of driving in this movie and we yes, spend a lot of time with him so but anyway we'll get to that so uh rick and cliff are meeting with marvin schwarz <laughs> al pacino played by al pacino he's a movie producer who wants to hire rick to play in spaghetti westerns and <laughs> let me just say we get just a great scene of just rick and Cliff just slamming drinks already at God knows what time it is in the morning. Um, it really makes me want a whiskey sour. Yeah. Can I say? Oh, yeah. It looks delicious. Like, so they're hanging out. Um, You know, Rick and uh, Mr. Schwartz go over, and they're talking about how Rick's career is kind of, like, going down the drain. Um, You know, and he's, he's kind of just becoming the punching bag for a lot of swinging dicks in Hollywood, as he <laughs> likes to put it. Um. And it's really ha- it could really have an effect on how future directors and audiences view Rick Dalton going forward. And I think this is when, you know, you can kind of see uh, Tarantino kind of zoom in on Rick's face as he realizes what he's being told is kind of true. And it's pretty sad, you know. You've, you've, you're with this guy and you haven't really known too much about him because the movie just started, but you're like, holy shit, we're 10 minutes in and this guy's just being told his career's going down the shitter. Right, and... If there's one thing that people kind of understand is that one of the first steps it seems to be in Hollywood is just booking some shows or booking some movies, right? Like, it doesn't matter how big or how small the part. But here, this guy who used to be maybe one of the top Western TV actors um, is being told that by booking all these gigs as the bad guy in these shows, it's actually going to hurt his long-term chances. And the the... Leo portraying that dawning on him was really, really strong. Right. I think his performance, I don't know how hard it would be as an actor to play an actor. Mm -hmm. That to me just seems like it would be pretty difficult for some reason. And it just seems like Leonardo DiCaprio just does an amazing job. I don't see Leo. I see Rick Dalton like the entire time. I almost act like he is a real life actor that I would have seen in other movies, you know? And like, speaking of that, you know, we, <laughs> Schwarz talks about a couple movies that, <laughs> that Rick is in. He watched some double feature. One I want to talk about is the 14 fists oh, of McCluskey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is so typical. This would be a movie Quentin Tarantino would make. It would. Is it Seeing not? As it kind of is. Glorious right, and that's why I just love it. Like it's a movie within a movie. You get like a two-minute two scene of these Germans kind of going over some battle plans, and then Leo eventually torching them with a flamethrower. And what yeah, does glorious. he shout? Anybody order fried sauerkraut? <laughs> <laughs> but it's... but then after that, he talks about like, yeah, I actually use that flamethrower, and and he like 
you can hear a little bit of his stutter right out the bat, and he goes, "That that that's one sh- shit fuck crazy weapon," and I love that <laughs> line so much because like then it cuts to him, you know, trying it out, and it's just so like he he literally goes, "It's it's too hot," and the guy goes, "It's a flamethrower, Rick." one thing about this movie it is just hilarious at the same time there's so many parts where i just burst out laughing like yeah and it's just little cut-ins like that of him like auditioning with the flamethrower when he's like ah ah it's too hot it's too hot (laughs) and yeah it's just i don't know it's a lot of just little nuances that kind of make this film for me but um whatever we got a long ways to go here um but anyway, yeah, he kind of, you know, is offered to play in these spaghetti westerns, Italian movies, like he was calling. <laughs> and we get this scene of of Rick and Cliff leaving the restaurant, and Cliff kind of goes up to him and tells can tell something's wrong with him. And he's like, what's the matter, old buddy? And he's like, well, it's official. I'm a has-been. <laughs> and Cliff is just like, oh, that guy turned you down. It's just like... You can tell right away that there's two good buddies, um, and he really cares about him. And it's just like, I don't know, their dynamic is just so perfect. This whole movie, and it's it's really interesting though, because when we move ahead here a little bit, Cliff seems happy for the opportunity to go star in some movies. Like a job is a job, but Rick sees it totally different. Like that he's got to go to goddamn Italian movies. Like yeah. he's super pissed about it. You know, I don't know. What do you guys think about that? Uh, well, I loved the part where he was crying in front of him, and and immediately Brad Pitt was like, "Oh my god!" But then he go like the the valets were Mexicans, and he just goes, "No, don't cry in front of the Mexicans." And then like, hands him his sunglasses to cover his face too. It's like yeah, he's looking out for the guy. And Jim, yeah. to to come back to you, like handing him the sunglasses when he asks for them back later, did you just not say this movie was not tedious? Is that true? I'm pretty sure you did, because I think it is just so detail-oriented the entire time. Yeah. No, I think the movie's tedious. Okay. But, like, when I said tedious, I didn't mean it in a bad way. I mean, there's, like, so much to just digest. How can yeah. tedious you know, be a watch good out thing? For. Oh, I don't I, know. I think I so. I like it. I guess it was a better chance for lack of a better term. Okay. All, I don't, right, all right. I don't think Jim liked this movie. Jim didn't. Oh, you bastard. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> it's going to be a wide range of scores between the two and the one, I think. <laughs> yep. yep. Um, anyway, so after they get done with the restaurant, uh, Cliff and Rick are driving home. Um, we get our first look at Pussycat, played by Margot <laughs> Qualley. Yeah, that's her name. I know. Um, Margaret Qualley. And um, nothing. She doesn't do much. She's just with her friends, um, the hippies. You know, we see him digging for food and stuff and just typical, I don't know, 60s hippie shit in Los Angeles, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I can't yeah, imagine that's what much. they'd be doing, hitchhiking and stuff. Um, you know, he looks like, you know, they kind of catch eyes, Cliff and and the girl. You know, we can kind of tell that, like, something's going to happen going forward. You know, whether or not they'll run into each other again will remains to be okay, seen hold um, on hold on he, they catch eyes they catch eyes once as she's walking in past a little bit more when she walks a little bit further he makes a point to stare out his window and make sure she turns around 
those were complete fuck me eyes all the ways around <laughs> okay 100%. so i wasn't the only one thinking it no of course no. but and they anyway. throw up the peace sign too i mean that's pretty much just yeah you're down i'm yeah. down right yeah. that's so, the hippie way dtf <laughs> as the jersey shore kids say right. right um awesome well anyway we get some more driving um mrs robinson by simon and garfunkel comes on it's just perfect banger. once again another banger um and they're kind of driving home and we see they pull up into this um private driveway and it's it's camera zooms in on cielo drive i think i'm pronouncing that correctly yep um which is pretty famous that's where sharon tate lived and obviously a tragic um the manson murders happened but um so you can tell that that's probably going to be Rick's neighbors, which sure as shit, Roman Polanski and Sharon Tate roll up. Um, can we talk about that for a half minute? Yeah, go ahead. So the the Tate and Manson murders, like, it happened in 1969, right? It's mm-hmm. kind of this, now, because of this movie, I'd say, a staple of pop culture to some degree and, like, movie making. But I'll be honest, before this movie came out, had no idea who Sharon Tate was. I had heard of wow. Charles Manson, but I and that he killed some people and led like cult, but didn't recognize the fact that uh, he had killed Sharon Tate or had his group kill her. So yeah, sent some people. Yeah. Well, the thing about that is that I'm I'm a big fan of studying serial killers. What does that say about me? I don't know, but like. As America, we have this obsession with murder. It's just a fact. We do. Charles Manson's story is probably one of the most interesting simply because he had the ability to get people to follow him and do whatever the fuck he wanted. But, like, the biggest example of that was Sharon Tate's murder and, like, how seriously fucked up some of the things that were said were before they actually killed her. Like, and the ceremony that they had, like... We're going to hear a, a line in here where Tex says, make it witchy. That's not a joke. Like, the, it was some fucked up shit. So if you, like, know anything about Manson, that, that kind of goes hand in hand with the fact, like, this was his big, big murder. Obviously, a lot of other people died. But, like, this was, you know, stairway to heaven type shit. So yeah. Right. And yeah. I'm, I'm no history buff by any means. But, like, I didn't know about this coming into the movie I heard Sharon yeah. Tate was a part of the movie and heard spoilers about the movie, which is in this instance fine with me. So I had to do some research, but like, I'll say this: I I know that that hurt the score I had for the movie mm. because I I didn't have that affinity for what what the events were that transpired. So like, right. um, if I had walked into a theater, no information, seeing this movie, like. At this point, I'm still thinking that it's all fantasy, to be honest. No, I don't know if I can say this because I never read your outlines. So I think you need to rewind the last episode and listen to where I said you should read up on the Manson murders before you watch this movie. No, I'm saying like a year ago when this movie came out. I'm pretty sure I did some research a year ago. Now and then. I said to see anyway. I'm okay. I'm, I'm, I'm saying giving Jim a, a hy- hard time. In a hypothetical situation, if I had walked into the theater knowing nothing, but like Fair I found enough. out what the movie was about, so then I did research. Fair enough. Right. Fair enough. Well, you know, it's just it's a touchy subject because you know I didn't 
it's hard as us because we're obviously not old enough to kind of realize, you know, the the major impact. Like we obviously know Charles Manson, the name, and like. But could you, like if something like this happened now, like an up and coming actress and her friends just brutally murdered, like just imagine how shell shocked everybody everybody would be, and like that I'm sure that's what it was like back then. So to actually use use her, and there's a lot of you know other famous people name dropped and that are you know real people, but obviously not played by them. But like in this movie, um, yeah, I mean it's interesting the way they the way they did it. Definitely, we'll talk about how it ends. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, yeah, it's kind of like you know like Scott was saying it before. It's a story once upon a time in Hollywood and you know we'll get to that but um anyway back to the kind of story uh so Rick you know realizes that you know Polanski it's the first time he's seen him he's moved lived there for like a month or so I think he says um and he's been down in the dumps you know he just had basically been told his career was going down the shitter and now he kind of has this new optimism about him like you know, he's neighbors with Polanski, who's one of the biggest directors going at this time, the director of Rosemary's Baby and such. Great movie. Got a little pep in his step now. You know, could you guys tell? He's, like, a little jittery. Yeah, because he's he's kind of like, uh, do you want me to hang around for a bit? Brad Pitt asked him if he wants to hang around. But he's like, no, i got to practice my lines. You know, like, I'm feeling a little bit better. And, and I think it's just great character development throughout the movie of, of emotions that um rick dalton ends up feeling because again we're gonna that's gonna change in a bit but um he he clearly <laughs> he is a roller coaster of emotion yeah, yeah he certainly really. is uh, but also i think like him i mean it's kind of introduced that he's an alcoholic so i think he's also just kind of like excited to drink too so i right. think that's part of it um but yeah it, it, he definitely is feeling better than he was when he was crying so yeah yeah and i love when uh Cliff goes to take his glasses back, and Lee, and Rick's just like, "Come get him, fucker!" And he's just like, puts his hands up. He's like, "All right, all right, give him yeah. back." It's just you know, well, it's just funny play. Well, because what we learn about Brad eventually is like, I mean, people should be probably afraid of him. Like <laughs> he's, he's he's a questionable character at best. Uh-huh. Let's just say. Yep. Um, but anyway, moving forward, the next scene is kind of just, I'll leave it short. It's just Cliff taking off for home. Um, he drives a much shittier vehicle than Rick's car. Obviously, Rick doesn't drive, which we kind of should have glossed over. He has one too many DUIs they touch on in the beginning. So Cliff just kind of drives him around all over the place. Um, once again, just great music. I loved, you know, the the camera work is just great you know scott touched on it how you're like in the car with them but like driving down the strip and all the lights you know it's just like it makes you feel good you know it's like a good i would love to drive down like you know the hollywood strip and see all the movie theater lights and restaurants and stuff it'd be pretty cool yeah uh but anyway so he's goes home he lives next to a drive-in theater in a tiny ass trailer which does he just leave the lights and the TV on at all times? I'm seems that so. way. Maybe for the dog. Yeah, the dog will get lonely without the people talking. Brandy. Right. Oh my Brandy, god. Brandy, what a pup! What a pup! Oh, she's so a cute. she's a tank though. Yeah, muscular as fuck. But anyway, we get Cliff making dinner, um, mac and cheese. Scott, thoughts? Um, okay, so. <laughs> Again, with like the feeling like you're in this world. God, the advertising in this shit was amazing. Like the the ability to first of all that dog food that he has 
um it's it's in a can and it says on it four mean dogs on it like a uh, wolf <laughs> I something don't know. wolf's tooth I don't know if that's real or not. I, I probably not, but one of them was rat flavor. I don't know if you saw that. <laughs> yeah. But but also like the Kraft mac and cheese box, like I looked at that and I was like, "Oh shit, that's mac and cheese." And like in a way kind of made me want mac and cheese more than it would if I saw the original Kraft box. And I don't know right. what, what I don't know. It's just cool to see like all we'll get to it later, but like the Taco Bell with the old yellow and and red and green lights in it, it it's all just really super cool and like not a detail of this set was left out of the 60s and in fact like i'm pretty sure i read that one of the scenes they actually shut down rodeo drive for two hours which is like unheard of so right you know they they pulled out all the stops for for this for the setting in this movie for the advertising like i just thought it was really cool yeah, and, like, what we've come to learn from, like, is, like, Tarantino doesn't really, you know, fuck around from that sort of point. When he makes a movie, you know, during a certain time period, he makes sure to, you know, try not to leave out any detail. And I thought, right. like, product placement and everything like that, all the little things like that were done perfectly, and you, you described it great. Um, right. So, anyway, we kind of flashback then to Rick rehearsing his lines on an old recorder. Um <laughs> I really loved this scene. He, he's Did really you? got my vibe when it comes to studying. Oh, my God. Pours it's himself so a drink, grabs his tape recorder, goes out to his pool, and sits in his floaty chair listening to it. I loved it. My God. Did you see the stein that he had his drink in? A really fancy-looking one? Yeah, I'm honestly awesome. not sure what drink he made. I thought it had cognac and an egg and something else in it. I was like raw egg in my drink is not of interest to me i don't know right i'd have to do more research on like bartending and making drinks i wonder what kind of drinks call for like egg whites or something like that because he was kind of like mixing it you know in the shell i don't know interesting though but um but yeah that's it's perfect you see him kind of settling in at the pool like jim said um going over his lines and i just wrote like what a life you know (laughs) up in the hollywood hollywood hills just like laying in your your big pool rehearsing your lines having a drink it just sounds great yeah um but anyway at this point we get uh the camera kind of morphs up the road up to the polanski house where i think um, i think that was the coolest shot of the movie by the way because because his house is like on a hill but like so is hers so it looks like you're looking down but secretly you're like moving up into her house and it's it's such a cool shot apparently it was a whiskey sour he made and some people put eggs in it that's that's completely news to me like the for whis- what? Yeah, the whiskey sour doesn't surprise me because that seems to be his drink of choice. But I just didn't realize, yeah, that he was doing that with an egg. The egg apparently is a thickener, and it makes a foam on top. I don't know. Hmm. Still, it. I, I feel like an egg white is not going to have a lot of flavor in it. But like, the idea of eating raw egg or drinking it in this instance just goes against everything we know. Right. Yeah, Anyways, sorry. No, that's good. That's good and bit info. Um, yeah, so next we just get uh, Sharon Tate and Polanski kind of taken off. They're going to a party. And I guess to make a point, like, everybody just hauls ass in their vehicles. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no 
repercussions. You know, <laughs> we're just going to go take this sharp corner down at the bottom of this hill and just haul ass, you know, and blow through stop signs. No big deal. Um, but nonetheless, they are going to a party at the Playboy Mansion, which seems like something, you know, famous Hollywood people would do on a Saturday yes. night, I bet. Yeah. Um, it looks awesome. Again, like the set looks great. Um, I'm not, I don't know what the Playboy Mansion looked like in the 60s, but, you know, I can't imagine that it was something like that. And we get introduced to like a couple characters, like Steve McQueen and, um, Jay Sebring. Uh, but again, not a lot happens here. It's just, I just like to point out, like, it's just Sharon Tate has such few lines, or Margot Robbie as Sharon Tate in this movie, and it's just a lot of, like, her. I think they really tried to show that she was like such a positive energy and it mm-hmm. just seems like everyone loved her. And I just kind of yeah. got that vibe during the scene. I was, I was going to say the exact same thing. Like <laughs> they, she does not talk a lot in this movie, but like of, of from what I've read, um, she, her, she had to get sign off from Sharon Tate's sister to even play this role. Um, and so she like Margot Robbie did a crazy amount of research into Sharon Tate. So, like, I I like to think that, you know, we've got this memory of Sharon Tate being brutally fucking murdered by Charles Manson's minions, right? We don't have any other feeling of how she kind of was as a person, as an actress. I don't think a movie's ever done, like, a better job of kind of making me forget that someone got brutally murdered. Like, it made me want to read up on like how she actually was as a person like yeah into her movies and and so just from the way that she was being like dancing around at the party smiling at everyone uh picking up a hippie when when they were trying to hitchhike like all that i feel like by not having lines they did a better job of portraying who sharon tate actually was I think they did do a great job showing how carefree she was and how she didn't have any idea that she was going to be murdered for whatever reason, right? And I guess at this point in the movie, the murder is still over six months away. Um, and, And so I get frustrated with the movie a lot here because, like, we're shown Sharon Tate and I'm like, okay, we're gonna switch gears here and follow her again after doing my research because manson tate that's all people talk about when it comes to this movie and what you guys are saying is true margot robbie has very minimal lines and very minimal screen time and i was heavily disappointed but but let me allow me to convince you here okay are we really trying to watch a movie where margot robbie is like saying lines to make you think that this is Sharon Tate or are we in a story where Sharon Tate just happens to be there she's really not a character in this movie it's just kind of trying to like almost humanize her a little bit compared to what she was like in the real world murdered that's what she is but like this movie is just trying to basically you know have her in the story but not too much. But because she's she more really... interesting than either of the main characters. Whoa. <laughs> and there's the first hot take, Jim. Wow. Why? Because she's a real person, and we're set in this history of some sort. 
And but that's she, why I, I, te- I texted you both that this movie's a victim of its own hype. All right. And, well, and I, th- I get what you're trying to say, Jim, I think. Let, let me know if I'm wrong. I think what ultimately in might hurt this movie from a, not just you, like, I think right away, even before the trailers came out, I remember reading, like, oh, Quentin Tarantino was making a movie on the Manson murders. And so yeah. that might have just kind of skewed a lot of people before they had a chance to see it, you know, like what they were expecting. I was pleasantly surprised, but again, I'm just one person, you know. I had no, I thought going into it, it would be more about, yes, Sharon Tate and like, you know, maybe she gets killed, you know. I was kind of, you know, everyone's nervous the first time you see this movie because she's so. Like we just talked about positive and everyone loves her and you're just like, oh my God, we know how this ends. Like this is going to be so brutal. Like is Tarantino really going to do this to us? But like you just, I think you, for me anyway, I just love the fact that then it's really not so much about her, but it's kind of like you just follow these two goofballs around the whole time and she just happens to be the neighbor. Which to me feels a lot like a bait and switch. Right. It could, like, yeah. yeah. And I don't fault you for that. I think a lot of people would tend to feel that way, for sure. And maybe that's yeah. just because, like, again, having little, very little um, background on it, I did enough to, like, get me into the movie and understand a little bit of where we're going. But, like, I want more. Like, I want to know more about this apparently super interesting person. Or maybe, sadly, right. the most interesting thing about her is that she was murdered by Charles Manson's group groupies. Right. Wow. Do you guys know the fun fact about Steve McQueen and why he's in this movie? Let's hear it. Uh, he was supposed to visit Sharon Tate the night that she died and didn't. That is where those two stories tie in together. So um, I don't really know what uh, exactly Tarantino's trying to do here, but McQueen at one point literally goes, like, I never had a chance, as he's discussing the odd thruple that uh, Sharon Tate kind of finds herself in. We don't really need to go into that. It's not that important, but uh, it, it, it's just interesting that he uh, is following the story a little bit of like, Hey, there's Steve McQueen. Did he not go try to visit her? Because he literally said, I never had a chance in this story. Maybe, I mean, maybe that's kind of where we're going with this, but right. um, I'm sorry to drag us off the rails, but like once we got this scene, I loved the playboy mansion scene and her going out and dancing and getting to know the background of those characters because those were real people and real people starring against made up actors, Cliff and Rick. I I mean, it was more interesting to look at the real people for a little while. Yeah. I respect that for sure. Um, See, this is exactly what I envisioned for this podcast, by the way. (laughs) This is what I wanted to do. Um, so yeah, so after that, um, we kind of do another jump here. Um, Rick, <laughs> Rick and Cliff are now driving to Rick's shoot. Um, the Lancer is the name of the TV show or the pilot. He is now audition, well, not on auditioning for, but shooting first. Um, Rick is completely hungover. Yep, <laughs> <laughs> he's like just looks like shit. 
Um, cough, I don't. Have you ever coughed so much and like blew snot when you're like I, hungover? I don't. I know. don't smoke cigarettes, so I, well, I maybe that's that something to do that's with probably. It. But uh, my fa- one of my favorite lines comes here is when he uh, steps out the car to go to set, and uh, um, Brad Pitt says to him, "You're Rick fucking Dalton. Don't you forget it." That line was improv, boys. Saw that. Yeah, and that's apparently a good line. Tarant- Tarantino never allows that shit. Uh, which doesn't surprise me, really. Yeah, he but. seems a little bit like a control freak. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it was ad-libbed, and it's cool because I guess, you know, the rumor goes that someone did that to Brad Pitt when he was younger, like going to a shoot. Someone wow. said, like, remember, you're Brad Pitt, don't you forget it, or something like that. Oh, so that's, that's kind of cool. where he came up with that for the line. So it is cool. Yeah. You know, and it, it, it fits for sure because we've already seen that there. That's the kind of relationship the two have, you know. Um, but anyway, Rick is kind of wandering around set um, looking for the makeup cart, and he just looks miserable, <laughs> like <laughs> just stumbling around. Um, and, like, we get into the makeup, and I we're introduced to Sam Wanamaker, who must be the director of the show, Um and he kind of starts going over the look that he wants for Rick. I couldn't help but notice that he seems pretty displeased with with yeah. what they're trying to go for. Oh, well, yeah. he's made it he's made it clear that he doesn't like hippies and he doesn't like basically Europeans. Um, and I'm pretty sure the guy was trying to combine both looks into one. <laughs> and he mentions like the Italian thing, and then he's like, "Yeah, we'll put a hat on you like a hippie." And he literally goes like a hippie. Like he's like, "Hold on." <laughs> so yeah, it's it's fun. Well, and one of the most discerning lines here that I really liked is uh, Rick says, if you have me covered in all this junk, how is the audience supposed to know it's me? And the director responds, they aren't supposed to know it's you. And that is the the ultimate, like, statement on what Schwartz was trying to... Schwartz. There's no T in there, apparently. Um, What Schwartz (laughs) was trying to tell him very early in the movie is that He's, by doing all of these one-off episodes, he's becoming a nobody by his own hand. All right, so now we get um, Cliff driving back to Rick's house because Rick had told him, you know, when he dropped him off at set to go back and fix his antenna because he thinks he, the wind blew it over at night, which it did. So, um, But Cliff's driving back, and he runs or he sees uh, Pussycat again, Margaret Qualley. Um, this time she's with one other friend, and she's looking for a ride. Um, but Cliff kind of gives her the old going the other way sort of thing, and she looks pretty bummed out. Yeah, but, like uh, like not... super animated. She's clearly yeah. putting on a show for him. It's it's good. I yeah, thought like... she I thought she was great. This is the first thing I've seen her in. I speak as Margaret Qualley as an actor. I don't know. I thought she was super fun. I thought know? she was like, too. She pretty, was like played over the top but like not in corny like that's what the character demanded i think and that's exactly what we got i thought it was mm-hmm. i thought she was really good um i hope to see her in more stuff because i i pulled her imdb super quick here and she's not in a whole bunch of things so i really hope that she gets a little more recognition because i think she could do well yeah well and I, sh- we'll go ahead scott well i mean tarantino i mean his casting is always fucking unreal but one thing about this movie is like he did take a more modern approach i guess i would say like he's usually used to working with his own actors but uh one 
to throw out there right away the the girl who plays love in you uh the second season of you she's riding horseback with tex uh later on in the movie one of the uh one of manson's little minions in the end she was in the third season of stranger things so like there's daughter yeah one of the manson kids was also in uh haunting on hill house yes so he i feel like this movie more than most it's like giving younger people a shot and maybe that's kind of like you know he knows his filmmaking career is almost over because he's been a guy who wants to make 10 movies and then he's done and this was his eighth so he's apparently got two to go well Um, technically his ninth i guess technically his ninth yeah because yeah because hateful eight should have been number eight i guess that would make more sense um but yeah so maybe it's just like a little you know father time catching up on him a little bit giving back a little bit to future movies like hey i had them in my movie first you know type scenario yeah and she gets quite a bit of screen time you know when she's on screen with fucking brad pitt for the majority of her time and she definitely holds her own you know in those scenes so it's it's a great job by her um but anyway yeah so he kind of passes her along and cliff pulls up to the house and we kind of get a peek now at like cliff's athletic ability we know he's Uh a stunt a stunt man but um he kind of just like triple jumps like onto like a stack of things and then onto like the the big wall along the house and then just jumps onto the roof parkour parkour (laughs) yeah just super parkourish um you know and he starts to fix the antenna and he's kind of sitting there thinking about what rick told him about um you know not being able to be on set with him because some guy doesn't like him you know because he was asking around to see if he could hang out with rick or with yeah with rick to maybe fill in for any scenes but we um we now know that there was this guy named randy who doesn't like him who was in charge of of wardrobe and cliff wasn't going to get a real shot but he we kind of jump to the scene now of cliff back at the movie lot um sitting outside of rick's trailer um and here we're introduced to randy which is kurt russell and you know he's kind of they kind of have a little conversation and then randy goes in to speak to rick and we now realize randy does not like cliff at all and rick's just kind of begging him for a shot um just to kind of dress up and just in case he needs him he'll be there uh any any comment on that at all is kind of well you know I mean, Kurt Russell ends by saying he killed his fucking wife. So, and then we get a little <laughs> the boat, boat horn. Yeah, and uh, wow, he probably did kill his wife. But I, the, uh, it, it's so hit or miss, and I don't really know because cause Rick doesn't really say yes or no. And at one point, he just like kind of seems defeated, and he's like, "Well, but he's a goddamn war hero." Like, yeah. is that, like is he trying to excuse his behavior? I guess we don't really know for sure. But the scene makes it look like he may have done it. His wife is being the worst human alive. Can, just de- can I, de- degrading. I, Go ahead. I need to point something out here, and I don't think there's any relation to this, or just maybe Tarantino fucking with me. Um, the opening scene when they're drinking drinks, uh, in the diner, he takes a bite of his celery in the scene of him killing his wife or like maybe killing his wife. She's taking a bite of celery, like of the same drink. Is there something there? They both like bloody Marys. 
<laughs> but but the celery bite, like, that's why it's I a negative calorie was, food. Everyone should eat it. I was overlooking it at that point. That's when I, I knew. Know. That's you can never overlook too much in a movie in the his right. movies. So I don't know. There I, might be. I some think meat. he I mean, can I, though because I didn't. The the entire scene on the boat, I just didn't care for. I think, I think they could have just left it at saying that he possibly killed his wife. Right. Well, I felt like it, also, it took me out of the movie even further than what we find out shortly after this couple of scenes. Yeah. Well, I think it also just proves like um, Brad Pitt just, I mean, he's just straight up not appreciated by, you know, anyone. Like, I mean, he, obviously he possibly Rick, killed someone. Assuming I'm he's gonna go guilty, on like, side. I understand why people would not appreciate having him around. I'm saying in this side, she was already bitching at him quite a bit for, like, she's saying, ah, I shouldn't have married you, blah, blah, blah. Like, she's being mean to him. Not necessarily worth a harpoon, but, you know. <laughs> we don't know. I, we don't know. I just, With Tarantino's penchant the... for violence, too. I would have loved yeah. to see someone get harpooned. All oh, right, I know, and, and that disappointed that. me a lot. <laughs> well, I just love, you know, I just, I don't know. It's so hard to really know for sure. It just seems like, you know, unanimously, like everyone else now we we hear from all believes he did it, and so whatever. And that, and this just does get weird. After we find out what this scene really is, and I'll I'll touch on that when we get there. But um, but anyway, uh, Rick convinces Randy to let him dress and hang out in case they need him for set. Um, so we get we shift now to a pretty entertaining scene. Um, we see Mike Moe, who is playing Bruce Lee, um, kind of talking to a bunch of people about martial arts and fighting. Um, you know saying how much he, you know, he respects boxers because they're in there to, like, kill each other, where he's kind of limited in what he can do in, like, a martial arts fight. But he was, he eventually says he would, he would cripple Cassius Clay. Probably not. Well, and Cliff doesn't necessarily agree. He's kind of just chuckles. Um, And so they, they kind of get into a little argument about it, um, and they agree to have some sort of competition. Who can put the other person on the ground, like, best two out of three? Yeah. One of one of the lines I wanted to specifically point out was Bruce Lee was like, uh, if, if I accidentally kill you, I go to jail. And then Brad Pitt goes, anybody accidentally kills a guy, they go to jail. It's called manslaughter. <laughs> it is perfect. It's like, I don't know. Because he's talking about how, you know, Bruce Lee's like, well, my hands are actually recognized as lethal weapons. Well, I mean, I tend to agree with Cliff. Like, you actually kill anybody. It's just a super level-headed argument. Like, it's like, well, yeah, you kill somebody, you're going to jail. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> it is hilarious. Um, Other than the fact that Cliff Booth may have killed his wife and didn't go to jail. I, well, it's, it's just, let's, you know, it is what gets, it is. It gets weird. Um Anyway, I just wrote first round to Bruce Lee with a flying kick to the chest. No real, you know, defense. deflection or defense by Cliff Booth here. And it's like he he definitely did it on purpose. Like you think he, he just he, let him? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 100%. Because the way he smiles and gets up is like, not bad. Try that again. Like, it's, yeah. it was clear. <laughs> anyway, second round, uh, he kind of goes in for it again, and Cliff just grabs him and throws him into the car. <laughs> like, Good scene. 
fun like, scene. just brutal. Like, they're supposed to not be trying. This is Bruce Lee. Like, and Cliff is just, and we'll get to this, you know, in a little bit. Like, Cliff is just, like, holding his own. I don't, he must be, like, the world's greatest stuntman or something. Yep. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, they kind of get back up, and they're sparring off now and, like, trading blow for blow. Um, and we get, we get, oh, gosh, what is her name? Janet. Randy's wife comes in and just is like in the most ridiculous accent ever. It's just like, what in the fuck's going on here? Like, yeah, it's just, bad. you know, because she sees Cliff beating up her series lead, which is never a good look, I'm sure. Someone just beating the shit out of like the main star of the show. But uh, Bruce is quick to note that nobody beats the shit out of Bruce Lee. Which yeah. I would I would probably agree with. Yeah, he um, says nobody kicks the shit out of me. He barely touched me. <laughs> Just immediately like trying, it, it's a combination of like trying to hold himself up, but indirectly pulling all kinds of blame off of Cliff. It was just right the epitome of stupid things to say. Exactly. There was there was a rumor that um uh, originally he was uh, Tarantino was going to scrap this scene. And, like, China threw a freaking hissy fit, and we're like, well, we're not going to show it in any of our theaters. Other way around, China was demanding he remove it because oh, really? they didn't like how Bruce Lee was depicted. Well, Bruce Lee's family makes, is, doesn't really like how Because they make him look like an ass and an idiot. Yeah, it makes much more sense than what I just said, for sure. Right. <laughs> so, like, but, you know, Tarantino being Tarantino, he's like, I'm not going to alter my fucking movie for anyone. So I think this movie was either very limited or really didn't get released in China at all. I don't know if it did ever eventually. I'd have to look into it or not um, in some sort of fashion. But, yeah, it was a big deal. Well, they did out. make him look like a, a bitch, and, like, I, I he's and I not. And I don't think that was intentional, though. I think, uh, I, well, I'll, it was in the sense for this scene, but I'll I'll kind of get to my point once yeah, we Yeah, he, once he we comes back. back in the movie, and, like, he's he's got a part but uh, necessary to, to, to launch him into a car where he gets a fake hit on a stuntman? I don't know, considering right. he's like a martial arts god. I'll say this. So. It sets up the fact that while Cliff is, quote-unquote, only a stuntman, he can still clearly, obviously, handle himself. For sure. Which right. is an right. important skill to have later in the movie. Yep. Yeah. But anyway, Janet, Randy's wife, um, is fucking furious. Uh, it ends up being her car, too, that gets extremely dented. Um, so basically, we, we see her yell at Randy to tell Cliff to grab his shit, get fucked, and get off the lot, or something like that. And he repeats um, it. Yes, he it's hilarious. He repeats it word for word, yeah. So, but anyway, then it jumps to... Uh, cliff back on top of the roof so yeah. is this a flashback or does it did it ever really even happen it's him fantasizing where, about what would have happened right and that's where i think people need to think like this scene is through his eyes i don't think it's like intentionally set up to make bruce lee look like a bitch i think it's cliff booth mm. thinking he can just fight bruce lee i'm one so through his own head that. yeah so he killed his wife well, well, well. If it's in that memory, he killed his wife, then, right? No, he didn't actually kill her in the memory. He fantasized oh. about it. Right. Ooh. 
we're getting deep now because I didn't even think of that. Like, I thought this happened in a previous scene as to why he doesn't want to hire him again. Right. So I thought this was... It can be taken both ways, I think, but I think, you know, the consensus way, I believe, is that it's like a hypothetical scene. And I think people got upset about Bruce Lee, but I'm like, I think you should realize that, like, this is Cliff's imagining of it, you know? He probably would just get his ass kicked by Bruce Lee, but not in his own head. You know, he probably thinks he could fight him. Ten times better right Right? there. I I love that. That was just kind of my whole thing on it. But anyway, um, so as he's up there on the roof still uh, fixing the antenna, this creepy, like, looks like an old school, like, ice cream truck, like, rolls up and out jumps. We we eventually find out it's Charles Manson, played by Damon Harriman. Fun fact about that, I guess he actually, that same actor plays Charles Manson in, like, a, in, like, a TV show on, for like, maybe, he plays him in, like, a show as for serial killers or something. Wasn't there a miniseries about the Manson murders? Maybe that's what it was. And I think he, he's either, he plays him, I think. He actually, he looks the part. That's oh, kind yeah. of unfortunate, I guess, probably, but I don't know, for him. Part of it's like the haircut um, and the overall wardrobe, yeah. though, too. Like, if this guy had cut his hair and whatnot, I wouldn't have picked him out of a lineup, right? Right, right. But anyway, it's it's kind of an important scene because, you know, again, here we're still not quite sure of what's going to happen, and we see him kind of creeping on you know, Sharon Tate's house now and Jay Sebring comes out and kind of confronts him. And he, we learn that like, he must've known the people that previously owned the house, you know, where Roman Polanski and Sharon Tate now live. And so that's kind of either his cover up to kind of get a good look at who's now there or kind of scope out like, you know, the land. I don't know. I pretty much it, I think, unless you guys had anything else to add to that part. No, I mean, I don't. I just don't know if it was a, a necessary scene. Uh, I don't know if it would have been better off leaving Charlie out of the movie uh, because, you know, you don't get much here. Um, well, and I is mean, this get, his only scene? Yeah, I think so. And, and, and this, I mean, he's referred to quite a bit, um, but, like, he... So the original murder story was like he 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 told people to go to the house of a friend he used to know. But again, I think that's like a cover up for cuz he wanted like somebody famous to be killed. Like I think he wanted a way to get his word out even further. Like he saw things that, you know, whatever. I don't really know why you need Charlie Manson in this movie unless he's going to play any sort of role. I so agree. I don't. I think including I him here was a mistake and distracted more than it added. Yeah, I mean, it did put a little looming cloud over the idea, like, "Hey, shit's still gonna happen here." Like, right? You know that that. And I think that that's it, what it intended. But I agree. I mean, for this to be the only scene, um, I think that you know, either it, it fully might, include him or fully exclude him. You know. Yep. Agree. Agree. Yeah. And, like my only knock on this movie was having Charlie manson in the movie i like and he was in the fucking trailer like you can't put someone in a trailer who's got a line of they don't live here anymore like that's literally (laughs) it terry here (laughs) yeah so yeah and guess what you don't really fully know that that's charlie manson like it's never announced in the movie so i mean obviously you can put two and two together but like right 
it could just be like Tarantino could come out and be like, oh, that's not that was not Charlie Manson. It's relying yeah, on previous knowledge, yeah. right? Right. So, um, but anyway, so that scene finishes up. Um, we go back to Rick now, back on set. He is uh, fresh out of wardrobe. Um, kind of got to wait a while for his mustache to settle. I think they said and wait an yeah. hour. Can't um, eat for an hour. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, so he's going to go read a book and this is where he meets, um, Trudy Frazier is the name of the actress in the movie mm. played by her real name, Julia Butters. Um, but, uh, this is just a fun scene, a good dialogue between the two. Um, she seems pretty annoyed with him at first, uh, but she kind of refers to herself as her character name, Mary Bella Lancer, because she feels like she gets a better performance every time she kind of stays in character. Yeah, she's mm-hmm. going method. Yeah, yeah, full-blown. It's um, fun. It is fun. I mean, there's not much to really say other than, like, you know, one point I want to get to is, like, she asks him, you know, what his book is about, <laughs> and I can't help but feel like he's kind of... I think... When he's telling the synopsis of the book, it really is true, but he kind of starts to realize that it oddly parallels his own life. Right. Yeah. In a way, like this um, this guy that can break in horses or whatever, Easy Breezy. Bronco Buster. <laughs> yeah, Easy Breezy was the guy's name, and he's kind of getting old, and he's not as good as he once was, and Cliff is starting to, like, you know, he's starting to break down as he's kind of reading, you know, what easy breezy's dealing with and it it's just really funny to see him kind of like you know shit i'm talking about myself here to this little girl yeah he's got a line here that says he's not the best right now he's coming to terms with being slightly more useless each day yeah oh and then like he he he's crying and the girl's like are you okay and he's like i'm fine pumpkin puss and she just gets right (laughs) in his face and is like he's like she's like uh normally i don't like names but i'm gonna let it go since you're sad like it's just fun (laughs) like they they build a chemistry for an upcoming scene that makes that scene even better in my opinion and and julia butter's phenomenal job she does a great job as as Um, a very vocal child actor and actress hater she did amazing i was super impressed yeah um just another just to slip it in here, another great line. I think she says something along the lines of like, you know, it sounds like she says like it sounds like a rough life. And then Clint yeah. or Rick like mumbles, you know, you'll be there about fifteen <laughs> years. You'll be living it. <laughs> <laughs> He's just so miserable right now at certain parts of his life. It's just like I can't help but just laugh, just the way he handles it. Um, but anyway, we jump around again now to. Uh, Margot Robbie, Sharon Tate, and it's just her driving around. You know, a lot of driving for these people. Uh, and like I said, we kind of just, I'll kind of flip through this. Um, it's just more kind of narrow, hammering down the fact of like how, at least she's portrayed in this movie of like a great person, you know, easy to get along with. She picks up the hitchhiker in this scene, like Scott mentioned. Um, just not a care in the world, really. Uh, she's just driving around, you know, helps out this lady. Um, and I guess she's going to buy a book for her husband. But the one thing I really want to talk about is her going to the movie with mm-hmm. with her own, you know, to see. Oh, I had the 
name of the movie here too. It's uh, it's uh, I got it. Hold on, uh, wrecking the wrecking crew. The wrecking crew. Um, and so she's like, this is kind of jumping ahead a little bit, but we can kind of just talk about it here, I guess. Um, you know, she's kind of trying to convince the people that she's she's not easily recognizable, I guess. Um, but I thought it was just, again, just shows like an innocence and like a true like you know genuinely happy person you know like one of the best delivered lines of the movie is i'm in the movie like i think that was phenomenal Mm -hmm. and how she's literally like i'm in the movie you know like and and the girl is going through like different options of who she could be she's like nope not that one not that one and then she like kind of jokes and is like the one who did the dirty movie like it, it was a really fun scene i think yeah um one thing i'd like to note uh the movie cost 75 cents to go see mm-hmm. god i wish movies cost 75 cents to seriously go see. think about how much less expensive <laughs> this podcast would be not that it's an expensive endeavor but if all we had to do to go see a new movie was pay less than a dollar my god oh, well man. Marcus Theaters um, has the, currently the Sunday $1 movies. So, uh, granted, those are not new and have been out since the probably the 90s that you've sent most of these movies. But they're a dollar. So, movies aren't dead yet, I guess. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> um, just a cool note to... Uh, so, like, she's in the theater, obviously, watching. And, like, I just... It's pretty cool. It's, like, she's, she's just eating up at, like, the crowd's reactions, you know, when she's being funny or when she's, like, kicking ass. You know, she truly enjoys people, like, loving her. You know, she mm-hmm. kind of gets... she You can tell she loves what she does. Um, that's actually, like, Sharon Tate. Like, they didn't yep. use Margot Robbie. So I thought that was kind of cool. Like a, like, a little tribute to the real Sharon Tate. I liked that yeah, a I, lot. Yeah. Well, not only that, the previews beforehand were for a Joe Namath movie. How about that? <laughs> this is great. Um, I need to bring something up, and it's not a knock on the movie. It's not a knock on a human. There's never been a, a, a more like convinced thing I am that Quentin Tarantino has a fucking foot fetish. Like, I think he's pretty open about it, too. I yeah, don't know. but like... Did he put Margot Robbie in the movie for a specific reason? Maybe, you know, because Are we of her go feet? that route. He wanted to see her feet. I think <laughs> it might have been the scenario. I, I, I mean, he is open about it, but like the scene of her feet, like in the actual shot of the movie. Come on, I think there's <laughs> a more blatant scene coming up. Oh my god! The f- yeah, I, I, we'll get to that. But like, good god. I mean, the feet yeah. in this movie are outrageous. <laughs> like, it's, it's definitely absurd. not the first time, right? Yeah, and they're dirty. <laughs> always, like, everybody's feet always is dirty. dirty. <laughs> Gotta be dirty. Anyway, oh. one thing oh. that I liked about this scene and wanted to discuss with you guys is, in this showing of the movie, they have theater clappers, people clapping when she beats the bad guy oh. in the movie. Oh, Do we think that, that Tarantino that is time. okay with people clapping during his movies? Dude, I, I I don't know if I've brought this up on the pod, but I my dad, um, every time I've ever gone to a sports movie, uh, he is a, a serial clapper. And I can't, like, I had to stop going to movies with him, man. Because, like, 
we went to Miracle, the movie about the the USA hockey team against the Soviet Union. When they scored that game winning goal, he stood up and clapped, mm-hmm. like 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 USA just won it all again. And like as a as a as a guy myself who really loves sports, I I gotta say like I wish I could be that comfortable in my own skin, but I I could not give a round of applause in a movie. I've been a part of a group that when like Harry Potter ends, people start clapping. I've been in that midnight premiere type setting before, but no, no clapping in the theater. The only time you okay. clap is if it's like the Hollywood premiere of a movie. Right. Cause right. it's fun. The energy's high and like everybody's super psyched to see this movie. They waited in line. Like it, it that's fine. You know, you're in a room full of nerds, but like if it's like a lower level movie, you can't be clapping, man. Well, and I and have the to think of film purist like Tarantino, right? Because he obviously loves like the idea of film and movies, right? Like that's why this is a movie about movie stars. But yeah, like, no. I have to think he would want like wrapped silence in the theater, like absolutely, like you can hear a fucking pin drop because the only thing you should be focusing on is his movie, right? That yeah. is an interesting question. Yeah, one you know, I'd be curious to see what he'd have to say. But he, you know, he put it in the movie, so I wonder if you know that he truly just maybe does. I like the effect or the idea of people like enjoying enough to clap. During Here's the, the thing, Tarantino, come on the pod and we'll ask you. Oh fuck! Yeah, I would oh, be I... so petrified. <laughs> this is what this is how that would go. I'd ask him a question. Do um. So your movie Pulp Fiction that was pretty good, huh? And then he'd be like, "Have you done an ounce of research?" Yeah, he would tear us a fucking part. I would just straight up ask him, like, "Did you put Margot Robbie in the movie because you wanted to see her feet?" Like, (laughs) I wouldn't. I'd like respect it if that's his thing. Like, I get it. I'd have to bow out of that interview because I'd have to tell him I don't think all of his movies are that great. I think he'd I think he'd appreciate that more than Anthony and I just Fan basically stroking him off. Yeah. <laughs> right. He probably would. Yeah. Um but anyway. Well yeah, if Tarantino comes on the pod, we've really made it. Um So it's not gonna happen. I'm just gonna throw this out there. Like I know we could get big someday. He's he doesn't go on podcasts. He's fucking Quentin Tarantino, okay? Like it's never gonna happen. I know it. It's right. my but life's goal to make it happen. There you go. Okay, we'll be like I'm eighty sticking... year old still doing the podcast, and I'll finally yeah. get like Tarantino's ghost to come on the pod. I'm sticking with Greg Marcus. Thank you. Uh, we'll okay. start with that. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so now this is where it gets tough because we jump back to the set of Lancer. Um. Mm-hmm. By the way, Rick looks awesome as Caleb. Let me just say he that does. Caleb Decatu has got to get the but, pronouncement right. But now it's like. A- Oh, go ahead. Not Dakota. Yeah, not Dakota. Not Dakota. Like she says earlier. Yeah. Um, this gets tough because now it's just I don't. We're not narrating Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Now we're talking about an episode of Lancer, and that's what it's filmed like. And to me, I fucking love this. So cool, Jim. I feel like it might throw you off. I don't know. Just I mean, by the, your vibe. Uh, let me just. I, I'm gonna skip ahead just the slightest bit here. Um, no, that's fine. I didn't really, I didn't really want to go through. It's tough to kind of just explain. There's what's a lot happening. of film time here, which is what bothered me about it. Th- yeah. There's two main plot points that are Im- 
or three, excuse me, that are important here. Uh, first one, he's so hungover, hungover, he can't do his job in the beginning. So he goes back to his trailer, swears off the hooch, and then goes back and like is fucking killing it. Those are your three points. Yeah. But this took like 45 fucking minutes, it felt like, of a two hour <laughs> and 40 minute movie. It, oh my God, it made me angry. It was an important plot point, but there had to be a quicker way to show this. One, right. the, what I thought was the really interesting point, and more important than him doing any of the acting on the show, is he goes back to his trailer, and it's the tiny little shitty wood-paneled trailer, right? Like, it's really crappy. But if you think about when Cliff was fantasizing about being in his trailer with him, it was this huge, super nice, like, movie star trailer. And so it shows that there's a disconnect between Cliff's idea of how Rick does his job versus what Rick is actually doing right now. Right. So, like, although these two are best friends, they're not... I don't want to say not sharing everything with one another, but they're clearly misunderstanding each other's lives to some degree. And that's the important part to me. Of all of that, you skipped right through his blow-up scene in the trailer. Well, we're not quite there yet. Jim was kind of just... Yeah, I was skipping ahead to make my point. But the fact of the matter is, it took 45 minutes to tell us this one thing... And yeah. that frustrated me because I mean, it is it is really like his internal struggle finally coming out like in on the job. So I think it's important, but I I think just what I liked about, you know, coming into that saloon, like it you really did again feel like you're on the set, but not just like filming, you add in the music portion of it, you add like spinning around the table a little bit. So I think it just I think that's just kind of for like film junkies, honestly. And I like and I totally this is this is one of the main, you know, faults that a lot of people say about this movie is that like this section in particular takes so guy it's forty minutes of a fucking episode of Lancer. And like for some reason to me, I just like fucking love watching it, I guess. It's fun. And I kind of it's going to sound corny, but you almost like, I don't even realize I'm still like in the movie until, you know, we get like the first time he fucks up his lines and the, like you hear the film crew in the background say, cut, 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 cut. And like, holy shit. Yeah. We're actually watching a movie yet. Not yeah. just this fucking, you know, TV show with Jim Stacy playing whatever fucking, what the God, what's his name in this? Timothy Oliphant. No, yeah, sorry. Tim, but he's Johnny, Ma- Johnny Madrid is the character. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Johnny Madrid. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and Caleb Decatu having drinks at the bar, you know, talking about old times and lots of people dying. But like I don't know. I can see where it would def it could definitely drag on. I don't know. I just to me I just got like so caught up in it that like I don't know. I just kind of enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean like the when he the first pause when he's about, he misses his line everything just goes silent the music just stops yep. the whole production crew knew he fucked up Lines. and then you just hear someone yell it and it's just like i wonder if this has ever actually happened to leo like i i just i want that fuck up from the professional 
you know because like we see him as like an amazing actor but but also they go through these struggles like this happens people forget lines it has to happen i guess more or less maybe not so much i get caught up you know i guess maybe it could be shorter but like i think the part that really should be shown like you know at least recognized is like how fucking good is leonardo dicaprio on this yeah like i don't even see like especially like in these scenes when he's filming this this show i just i literally think like rick dalton's like a real person like and just watching like the actor rick dalton like fuck up you know i just to me i think he just did such a phenomenal job and i think these these scenes in particular are like where you see that i can get behind that like right if there's one thing that's true it's that both Pitt and dicaprio fall right into these roles there's no longer a separation of the actor from the role and that is one of the most impressive things i think about the two of them in this movie yep yep so anyway, yeah, so we get the bar scene. Um, we get him kind of messes up his lines like three times. And then, I mean, you, you could say the best scene in the movie, maybe. I think so. Maybe yours, Scott. So. An absolutely yeah. electric trailer scene is what I wrote down. Yeah. <laughs> I, could, could, would you like to lead in, us at all? <laughs> yeah, well, he comes in and just whips something and just shatters the windshield in the back of the trailer. And just just berating himself like you had to have eight goddamn whiskey sours couldn't have had three or four you had, had to have, have eight. eight here's the thing i can vibe with that completely like sometimes you look in the mirror and you're like you piece of shit you couldn't stop after four what are you doing so like and then he also says something like sitting there like a baboon or something like, it's just going yeah because we know yeah. now he has a stutter which i think yeah is an interesting character dynamic that we didn't see like in any of the trailers but like rick dalton has a stutter but he's able to like get away with it when he's acting you know it's kind of i don't know it's just a kind of another character nuance that just you know fits the bill i mean it's kind of amazing like the pressure is completely high on him in movies yet he can pull that off i i don't know i mean it's it seems to be something that's not really possible fun fact because if James yeah. Earl Jones apparently when he was younger had a notorious stutter and oh. then goes on to be one of the most prolific voices in all of film ever as Darth Vader and apparently had to overcome a stutter for the majority of his life. Wow. Wow. So That's so this is to some degree a thing. I don't believe that James Earl Jones like once he finally got into Star Wars or other bigger acting items I don't believe he still had a stutter at that point. Like, he had completely overcome it. But, like, apparently overcoming a stutter is a thing that I had no idea about. Right. I to, to go off that, like, a little bit mentally speaking here, I think that it does a really good job of, like, okay, a stutter is, is something that's going to make someone stand out, right? And, like, they have to completely learn to live with it. It's, like, the, the ultimate form of anxiety with, but, like, in in person like you can see it actually happening so if if they can break out of that they feel like they can literally do anything right so i i and like i i think you can relate that to everyday life like to be an actor on this level you'd have to have that confidence and maybe somewhere along the way like he was like you know what it doesn't matter that i sound like this whatever and like that catapulted his career a little bit comes up every now and then but he can, you know, calm his nerves at the right time. And, like, that's what the great ones can do. 
So, right. I don't know. Just kind of interesting. It is. And it's just like, you know, that we. it just goes to show you, like, how dynamic the character of Rick Dalton actually is. And I, like yeah. I said, I just can't, not to just dwell on it too much, but I think Leo just did a fantastic job. Um, yeah. But, yeah, just a lot of self-degrading, um, the oh, best, okay. best self-motivation ever. I know he just threatens to, like, you know. Kill himself. Kill himself. He's like, you know, if you, I swear to God, if you don't straighten this up, I'm going to go home and blow your brains all over the house or something. It's pretty brutal. But, um. Yeah. Yeah. And not to, not to fast forward too far, but, like, when the scene he comes back, he fucking knocks it out of the park. So it's like. I know. <laughs> This probably is a process he's done before. It like, this be. is his self-degradation. De- degradation is his way of, like, helping himself. So, I don't know. I, we learn a little more as the movie goes on of how maybe that won't continually happen. But it's clearly been a problem of his. <laughs> For sure. Um, but anyway, we kind of jump back. I think we got, like, a little flash into... Um, Sharon Tate again back at the movie theater, but we pretty much covered you know that nothing really happens there other than her leaving well, eventually. Um, she gets trained. She she goes through her training with Bruce. You get to see Lee. yeah her yeah. training with Bruce Lee for one of her fight scenes, which is pretty cool. I mean, yeah, yeah whatever. Yeah. Um, but anyway, then we get Cliff uh, driving back. Now I'm assuming towards back towards to pick up Rick eventually after set closes. Um, just want to throw this in there. The song that's playing is "Bring a Little." Bring a little loving by the Los Bravos. It's like my favorite song of the movie. But anyway, okay. Um, yes, he runs into Pussycat again, and this time, <laughs> third time is a charm, and we get like one of the best delivered like Cliff Booth yes. moments. It's like yes. after, right before he's about to pick her up, the cops drive by, and she's just like, "Fuck you, you fucking pig!" <laughs> and like he just goes, "Oh no." Like, I thought that was, as dumb as this sounds, I thought that was the best line of the movie. It because, was really like, good. The delivery is like, I'm in trouble. Yes. <laughs> it's great. It is great. It's so good. It's like, and, and it makes, yeah, it makes sense from everything we've seen about her. Like, the, the, he he's putting this picture of what she's like, and she met it with that line, and he's like, I was right, you know? Like, right. oh, no. It was great. great. Definitely. <laughs> Funny. Um, but anyway, yeah, so she hops in with him and what we get now, she tells him to take her to Spawn Movie Ranch, which he says he used to work there with Rick, um, you know, shooting Bounty Law. Uh, so he knows exactly where it is, but you know, it's just a, it's quite the car ride. (laughs) Let's just say that. Um, it she's clearly like they're clearly like into each other but like she's almost like at one point you know definitely like has done this before is like the vibe i got like well we need to just talk about the way she asks this question well okay? i was going <laughs> i didn't know how to approach it to okay. be honest okay no you just have to say it cuz it's the politest offer of sex i've ever heard it is <laughs> Would you like me to suck your cock while driving? Yeah. Like, it's just so <laughs> formal and just so, like, you know, this is a service I provide. Like, right. it's absurd the way she asks it. 
And then he immediately is like, how old are you? And she goes, haven't heard that one in a long time. So I, I, ju- I just could not believe that delivery of that line. Right. It was just so... Straightforward. Poli- polite. Like, <laughs> I don't know. And you know? Does this fit? You know, for what we've known, Cliff, he's kind of shady. But, like, at the same time now, this this kind of, like, throws you off a little bit. Like, he he's not willing to kind of stoop to that level. Well, I, and he kind of explains it's because he doesn't want to go to jail for Poontang. <laughs> That's a great line, too. Uh, I'm too old to go to prison for Poontang is the exact line. And so I think it kind of does fit because he says, like, the police have been trying to get me my whole life. Yeah. But, uh, again, though, like, there's probably going to be no repercussions from this. Like, she's uh, one of Manson's, like, crazy kids. Like, they're not going to go telling the cops what happened. Like, they hate police, so I don't know. No, I, I definitely see Cliff more on the hippie side than Rick, Absolutely. for sure. Uh, um, but no, I, I, and also you get a f- j- her feet just shoved in the window. This is and the this feet one, scene I was talking about. This isn't even trying to hide it at this point. So <laughs> I mean, wh- whatever, teach their own. I, I get it. Right. I, well, I mean, I don't get it, but I get that people. You know, this is a thing. If it so, sells movie you know. tickets, Tarantino's happy. I don't think that's what sold the movie (laughs) tickets, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was some of them, (laughs) probably. God. But anyway, yeah, so Rick, or Cliff, you know, like he said, the cops have been trying to get him. He ain't going to jail for Poontang, so he continues just to drive around his way. Um, We cut back now to, like Scott alluded to earlier, Rick's ready to kick some ass. They come to get him out of the trailer, and it's just, like, serious music. He's walking down the street, like like an old gunfighter would but you can see like all the set pieces moving past him people driving trucks getting things set up but he's just like focused i fucking love this scene so much yeah like yeah i don't know he this is we kind of jump now it's cool how they do it because they skip from him walking to like right into the scene with him and and the little girl and i just this is i know i said this earlier but i've totally like out on leo now and it's just like rick dalton as caleb decatu like and he just fucking kills it just like a complete psycho like during this whole shoot um you know he he throws her on the ground you know he's shouting he's making up ad lib lines like beaner bonko buster like (laughs) the, the producer fucking loves it i don't know I don't really have much to add. I didn't want to go like word for word into what was really going on, other than the fact that he just he kicks ass in this scene. Yeah, I had written down R.I.P. Luke Perry. Uh, that mm-hmm. I had written down. Yeah. So yep, that's um, a good one. Uh, but also, I just want to point out when he mentions the joke to the little girl, and like he starts laughing, and the girl's like, "Wait, I don't get it." And then she starts laughing too. <laughs> yeah. Really, really good, like on-screen chemistry between the two, and then he just flips the gun right back on her, and it's super serious. Right. Again. So I, I, I think those two just killed it. So. It was awesome. Yeah. But um, but yeah. So he fucking rocks it. You know, they say the cut's done. He drew. He nailed it. I don't know if this was a first take or not, but like, you know, they said they don't need any more. Um, and then just really nice. The girl comes up to him afterwards and whispers to him, "That was the greatest acting I have ever seen," and he mm-hmm. gets really touched by this. 
Williams. Yeah, and then he goes, I'm Rick fucking Dalton. <laughs> and cocks the gun. <laughs> just yeah. pumped. At this point, I'm just pumped. I'm like, good. Yeah. More Rick Dalton, yeah. please. Yeah. So uh, maybe I take a really jaded look at at this, right? Like, the idea of a serial Western TV has never seemed to be the epitome of, like, high acting, right? True. Mm-hmm. So the fact that she says that was the best acting I've ever seen is really just a statement on how little acting she's seen. I put it towards more um, her kind of being like, I feel bad for you a little bit and, like, wanting to comfort him. And I think it worked. I'm, so it, I, that's where that I, certainly I worked. It. But I, yeah. I guess I don't know. I read it as like she hasn't seen enough acting to necessarily know good acting, right? And you can take this as a statement towards how great of an actor Leo is. Like we've been saying, is that right. he he's such a good actor that he can make it look like he's a bad actor and make it still believable. Yeah, that's so true. Um, but yeah. Anyway, so he nails that scene. Um, so then we get back to Cliff, and I just her name's Pussycat. It's just gonna be yep. so odd to just keep saying. Well, <laughs> what the one hippie says to is just pretty funny. Oh yeah, <laughs> but anyway, his response was is, amazing. Is great. Um, they arrive at the ranch. It looks sketchy as fuck. It looks pretty yep. like you don't really see anyone there right away. Um, but they get out, and she wants to show them around. And introduce him to everybody, and and like for the like the first time now here, she says like Charlie's really gonna dig you, and she says this like multiple times, obviously right. alluding to like Charles Manson. Um, so it's just like really interesting to like you know she sees Cliff as this guy that helped her out, and so far seems pretty cool to her, and she's willing to like bring him right in. I don't know. He dodged a bullet. <laughs> I'd say so. What about those people on the horses? I mean, we'll get to it, but they, they're probably either dead or part of the cult now. I'm so. Funny you say that. So, like, we were introduced to Tex, um, probably, like, the leader of these guys without Charles there. Um, and he's showing these people, they're, like, taking them out on horseback riding. I thought, like, the exact same thing when I first saw this movie. Like, well, did they just take these people out in the hills and kill them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm I'm more on the sides of like they're trying to recruit them, but the age demographic wouldn't really make sense. No, because right? these Cause people were like kids. super middle aged. Yeah, right. So I'm assuming they kill them. Yeah, I mean, it's not clear one way or the other, but like I literally, that thought literally ran through my head. I'm like, do they just like take these people like disguised as like a like a nice ride and they just murder them out in the hills, or are they just actually like it's just their like form of income? You know, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, because they probably have to make to some money. But anyway, so this text comes down. You know, he speaks to Cliff a little bit. They talk about going to t- being in Texas and all sorts of shit. And he kind of lets him off the hook. You know, he kind of gives Cliff the pass. So he rides back off to show the people around. Um, but Cliff mentions he wants to go see George Spahn, who was the owner of the ranch, who he knew back when he used to work there. Uh, the hippies seem pretty sketchy about this. And this is where, like, the whole dynamic starts to turn in this scene. Well, yeah, because, like, they don't want him to be seen. They're like, why do you need to see him? And he's he's kind of figured it out here that they're right. taking advantage of George Spawn. Right, yeah. Um, so just, like, now I start to get this uneasy feeling now for Cliff This for the rest of, like, this 15 minutes. Um, we're introduced to Squeaky from... 
played by Dakota Fanning. Um, Shocker, by the way, when I read that credit, I was like, oh my god. Yeah, <laughs> like the last thing I truly remember her in is fucking War of the Worlds. Is that Bray? I girl. said we're not in War of the Worlds anymore. <laughs> she has grown up and is an adult now. <laughs> <laughs> and she, yes. Um, so she kind of like guards the house. Uh, she's very, she's much more like confrontational than the rest of them. The rest of them have been to Cliff so far. Uh, Cliff is definitely persistent in seeing George. She doesn't really allow it at first, but she eventually says, fine, suit yourself. We go, we go in finally and we see George and he's blind as fuck and he's old and decrepit. It's played by Bruce Dern. This was supposed to be Burt Reynolds. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. But Burt Reynolds had passed away before they filmed the stuff. That's a totally different movie, honestly, I think. Yeah. Or this yeah, scene, anyway. I don't know. Well, um, also, I wanted to mention that Dakota Fanning mentioned that she he's tired because she fucked him. That <laughs> fucked was rains out about an hour ago. Yeah, I believe and I the was quote. like, God, does that leave just the odd visual for <laughs> the viewers? It's so bad. But, yeah, it just shows you though, like, you know, we I kind of just go through this because it's not that important, but Cliff and. You know, George discussed. George has a hard time hearing. Doesn't really remember who he is at all. And Cliff's just trying to make sure he's not being taken advantage of. But he mentions how Squeaky loves him. So clearly, she's kind of just like giving him favors, but and ultimately taking advantage of him entirely, so they can all live there. Right. I think. Yeah. That's pretty well agreed um, upon. I mean, I love how one time he goes, you know, the redhead out front, and he's like. Didn't you hear what I said? I'm fucking blind. Like <laughs> that was the best line of the movie. Like. I, I, that's <laughs> the hell I'll die on. It was great. He, he did he really good delivery there. He brought it yeah. for sure. I, that's why it's just interesting. Is like how different is it with like Burt Reynolds? You know, I, I think know. it makes him seem know. less decrepit. Not as ornery yeah. either. Right? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, because Burt Reynolds has always seemed you know so suave, right? And this right. guy did not seem to have that tact to him no and i think that really actually helped this scene you know i think that's what it needed was like i some agree crotchety old ornery blind guy <laughs> you know it really is what it was um but anyway i it kind of just cliff you know realizes it's kind of a no hope to try to talk to him or talk him out of anything and he he eventually starts to leave the house um and now he's just getting like fucking heckled on his way back to the car mm-hmm. like Pussycat's pissed at him. You know, she's like, you know, you're a piece of shit. Calls him the blind one, you know, for not yeah. seeing, like, what little, what they're trying to do. Yeah, a little play on. A little fun with the, the Manson children here. Right. Um, you know, all of them yelling, you're the blind one. I, I thought that was, was pretty good, um, you know. But also, I, I don't... It was okay, I guess. Like, it just... It got a little too much, but then it kind of fixed itself at the end. It of does. the guy sitting on the fence. <laughs> yeah. Well, the heckling, like, kind of ruined the tension for me, to be honest. Like, yeah. so far, I'm, like, fearing for Cliff's life. Like, like okay, when are they going to fucking, like, get him? Like, I'm like, yeah. he's not leaving this ranch. You know, when I first saw it, I'm like, shit. But, you know, they kind of just resort to just yelling at him. And he walks up to the car, Rick's car, and there's a fucking knife stabbed into the tire. <laughs> And then what we get now is just like just the most scum badass scene from Cliff. Like the guy that stabbed it is just sitting there, like 
you know, laughing about it. And Cliff is just like, get over here and fix the flat. This is my boss's car, and I'll get in trouble if anything happens to it. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, just so great. Like, he just goes up to him and beats the shit out of him, basically forces him to fix the tire while everyone else watches. Yeah, and it's it's amazing to me how they're just appalled by the violence. And it's like, you are disciples of Charlie fucking Manson. Like, I don't know. I mean, this is actually true. Like, he convinced people, you know, like, violence is not the answer. But then he also convinced people that you know it's the fucking answer. Like, it's so in between that it's crazy how anti they're like i can't believe you do this and like he's and he doesn't give a shit like he picks him up and he goes ladies and then just blasts him in the face again i loved it It i loved it further proof i guess because the bruce lee scene was a fantasy that cliff booth can handle himself too yeah yep we'll just keep making notes of that for sure um yeah yeah but anyway he's while he's beating the shit out of him he eventually gets him to start working on the flat and one girl rides off to grab Tex to tell her you know he's kicking the shit out of him but by the time Tex gets down there Cliff's Cliff's already leaving um you know here we get like not much really happens now for the next couple minutes it's kind of like everyone's leaving you know their their current you know objective like Sharon's leaving the movie theater driving home Cliff picks up Rick um they're starting to drive home it's just kind of like a you know, a, a mellow scene, you know, after sort of like a big, tense, you know, interaction. So kind of interesting. Um, but anyway, now we get Rick and Cliff sitting down to watch Rick's FBI episode, which yeah. is... I, I don't have much here other than the fact of just the commentary between the two while they watch. It's just fucking awesome. Yeah, and, and actually at one point he goes like, that guy was a fucking prick. It was Clint Eastwood. and I, Wasn't it? I'm pretty sure it was. I don't know the, if the guy playing in the thing actually, if was it? I didn't catch that. I think it Maybe. was like an older version of Clint Eastwood, wasn't it? Like, I'm, boys, he, he Jim, makes, give your piece here, but I'm pretty sure that was Clint Eastwood. That doesn't sound familiar to me. Yeah, because he mentions oh. some name and he just goes, guy's a fucking prick. <laughs> and I just, I don't know, I love... The whole yeah, thing. so it is. It is Clint Eastwood. He was a Easter egg because it was a. Uh, I, it was an older movie of him playing uh, a character, and he's just like that guy's a fucking prick. And it was Clint Eastwood. Oh, that's kind of funny, yeah. actually. Yeah, I thought it was good. But. Right, but it's just you know another small scene like showing their dynamic, you know, and this is where we get introduced to Cliff's acid dip cigarette that he stashes there, you know, because he says if he wants to. If he's going to smoke that, he wants to do it here and walk around in the woods and not at his dumpy house. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, not much in that. Just, you know, just shows their, you know, their friendship starting to, you know, they're kind of mingling between the two, and it's just it's a nice scene. Um, but after that, you know, essentially we jump ahead now six months. Um, they're on a plane. Rick eventually agreed to do the Italian movies. Um, Mr. Schwarz convinced him. Um, let me ask you this: which which one of the four movies would you guys be more willing to see? I wrote them down: um, Nebraska Jim, Kill Me Quick Gringo, <laughs> Red Blood Red Skin, or Operazione Dynamite. <laughs> uh, the James Bond correction. fucking quick, spinoff. Quick, quick, quick course correction: that was not Clint Eastwood. No, <laughs> no you had me all sorry. fired up, Scott. 
I looked on Easter eggs and they said it was Clint Eastwood, but then somebody commented that it was not Clint Eastwood, and it is not Clint Eastwood. I have confirmed. But okay. to go off your answer, I would absolutely. What was the name of the last one? Operation, Operation Dynamite. Dynamite. <laughs> and was that the one written by Antonio Margaretti? You caught it, didn't you? Of course yes, you did. I love that. Yeah, Easter that's the one egg. I'm watching too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yes, Scott mentioned it. It you know he, this is now being narrated by Kurt Russell. So he says it's directed by Antonio Margaretti, which we've if anybody's followed like many of Tarantino's movies, he has kind of like his own universe, kind of you yeah. know. So Antonio Margaretti is actually one of the names that they use in Inglorious Bastards when they're undercover at, at the theater. <laughs> it's just an awesome scene when <laughs> they're like pronunciating yeah. the names. It's so good. Oh, it's so good. Margareti. Yeah. <laughs> and then what is uh the guy's like louder so I can hear the musica? <laughs> Margareti. And then the guy the next guy just goes, Dominic de Coco. Bravo. Bravo. He just tells him instantly. Yes, yeah, it's, it's so awesome. Gor Gorlami. <laughs> I fucking love that movie. Anyway, yeah. let me digress. Um, so yeah, they went to Italy, made four movies, got some money. Um, Cliff even got to be able to have a couple of runs. Um, we get a scene of him jumping the car, you know, over the bridge yeah. in the one movie. That's pretty cool. Uh, but anyway, yeah, so they made the movies, they got some money, um, and Kurt Russell now is narrating kind of the the towards the end here. Um, talks about how they're moving back to Hollywood. Rick got married to Francesca Cabucci, an Italian <laughs> actress. Um, and we find out, you know, during this narration that they've kind of decided to split up. Sad, yep. sad time. Yeah, but once like, they return to the States, they're going their separate ways, right? And yep. Rick also says at one point that he's going to sell the house in the Hollywood Hills and buy a condo instead. And right. he's no longer so enamored with being in and amongst the stars, like being near Roman Polanski. Right. And that's kind of like, it, it's a drastic change from what a line he dropped earlier. We kind of, we didn't talk about it, but he says, you know, you, what someone told him, you know, you buy a house in the Hollywood Hills. Cause that means you fucking live here. You don't rent, you know? And now he's willing to sell it and kind of just cut his losses, I guess. You know, he's almost accepting the fact that he, his career might be going down the drain, um, which is just crazy because he just made you know four movies where he starred in, and it, you know he's not really giving himself much hope moving back to the states and getting any gigs. Which, right? Who knows? I don't know. But um, anyways, yeah. So we find out they're splitting up, and I thought it was funny. They just they both agreed that once they landed, they were gonna get a good drunk, <laughs> and, and and just the way Kurt Russell says it. The end of a man's friendship. It's the only right way to do things, you know? Like, he's just, like, setting up the end of the movie, and, like, I can vibe with that. Yeah. Just a com- uh, yeah, it's it's good. It it's is. Good. Um, just one quick note, like, before we get to them, like, actually going to their restaurants and stuff. I just kind of noticed, like, when they land in the airport, Rick and his wife walking just completely, like, mirrors... Sharon and Roman Polanski in the beginning, beginning. but two totally different. No paparazzi. No paparazzi, and then you just have Cliff like pushing their bags behind him. Like it's like, you know that that is just in fact at the point of Rick's career is where he's at. Um, But anyway, now we move on. uh, Just to a couple dinners. Sharon Tate is now pregnant. 
because we are now six okay. months along the road. Oh, go so, ahead. So with with that, her being pregnant, I mean, like in real life, she was, was the case. Yeah, and I'm sitting here thinking, Tarantino, what the fuck are you? Well, because you're right. To this yeah. point, we still like he is he really gonna do this? And like, right. it's fucked up. Yeah, to think about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, just like. We get, like, a really cool scene of everybody driving down and, like, all of the lights turning the lights, on on the strip. Yeah. Like, a, on all the restaurants, the bars, the theaters. I just... It's Tarantino's love letter to Hollywood for sure, but I think this was one of the really cool ways he, he slipped it in there. Like, you know, this is one of the neat things you could see on the strip, and it's, like, you know, it's something little and small, but, like, it definitely holds its weight in the movie, I think. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, and like I said, like just the retro look on some, like just seeing that Taco Bell sign reminded me of like, you know, when Taco Bell colors kind of used to look like that. Um, I, we've we've been alive long enough for that color change in our lifetime, but right. like the yellow, blue, and red was really cool, and just like all the movie theater lights coming on, like there's more than one movie theater. I don't know. It's just, it's really, really cool. The idea yeah. that there were a lot of theaters like on a single street and like that there were enough movies being produced that you could go see multiple things at multiple different theaters all in one night. That is super, super cool. Right? Like yeah. as three big movie fans, that would be the place to be, you know? Oh my God. And right. what I, if you run yeah. into Sharon Tate going to see your own movie? Right? Like, right. It, yeah. If we were in Hollywood doing this podcast, like, we'd have to go, like, down to Rodeo Drive or, like, go to where some of these really, honestly, movie historical places are. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it truly made me envious, to be honest. To just, you know, I I feel like I would have fit in in this time very well. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> yeah. granted, you know, there's it's totally different nowadays, but, like, you know, it just seems much simpler, and I think Tarantino did an amazing job of just portraying that in the movie. Um, anyway, so I have down here that uh, Sharon Tate and her friends went to the El Coyote for dinner. Um, Cliff and Rick hit up Casa Vega. I'm not quite sure. I'm assuming those places are real, maybe. It wouldn't surprise I have no idea. me. Um, so we got Rick and Cliff just getting absolutely shit-faced. I put yeah. nothing much else, you know, other than the fact that they're both just getting plowed. And, like, right. Sharon and her friends are hanging out, but she's very pregnant, so she's not really having too much fun. Um, right. Other than that, like, anything else to add other than the fact well, that they take a cab there's, home? There's the line of that, of, like, them taking a cab home, but, like, he made the point to say they got so drunk that they had to take a cab home, almost to be, like... Most of the time, if you got drunk in the '60s, you'd still drive home. Right. But like, but, but they got so drunk yeah, they that they had to take a cab home. <laughs> yeah, that was right. hilarious. Yeah. Uh, God. So yeah. So they get home. Um, Rick immediately fires up the margaritas. And yeah. Uh, again, Kurt Russell, a completely drunk Rick Dalton, started <laughs> making margaritas. Like, uh, it's just fun commentary from Kurt Russell. Honestly, I know. Let me it's ask so you this good. though. Do you got? I was frustrated that the commentary started two thirds of the way through the movie. I would have liked it better if it had done the whole thing. Well, that's kind of a, a common theme in Tarantino movies, though. A little bit, like the Tar- the 
commentary is not ever present usually a lot of i guess i've never noticed that think of a commentary as a crutch you know that your dialogue isn't good enough which i would never say about a tarantino movie so he can only get half of a movie done before he needs his crutch yeah yeah i don't know right i i think it was done okay i mean i don't think it was completely necessary but um you know i i guess if rick and you know cliff are just getting absolutely shit-faced it'd probably be pretty hard just to have them try to carry the movie with conversation you know i don't know that is true and i guess when we're saying that they're the two groups are going to these two separate restaurants like right he has some scenes here that are three or four seconds before he flashes between one or the other and i guess uh you really do need the voiceover in order to tell you what's happening because otherwise i guess it would have been super confusing which makes it feel like there could have been a better way to show it Mm -hmm. i think yeah i think it was the best way for what he decided to do the way he filmed it and like trying to show that they're their evenings, for lack of a better term, are about to, like, intertwine, nonetheless. Um, so, anyway, back at the house, uh, Cliff decides to take out the acid dip cigarette and take Brandy for a walk. Sounds like an amazing nightcap <laughs> like, <Yep. laughs> in the 60s, for sure. Uh, but as he's walking out, we see this fucking loud-ass car start pulling up the driveway. Scott, oh. I'll let you handle... The Rick I love reaction. this scene so much because like he's like first like what the fuck is that like why is it so loud and he's just pissed off in the first place but then he goes to the window and he has this absolute shocked look on his face like fucking hippies, it's fucking hippies. <laughs> and and so the way he's going outside in the bathrobe with the margarita pitcher full in the hand and just walking in anger towards them is fucking hilarious. Like, he's going off on him, he's like, you need to fix this muffler, and then he's just taking a sip of the margarita. But, like, it's just, it's so good. And Tex is like, we got a little lost. And he's like, yeah, you're fucking lost. Like, he's just going at him. And then the ginger girl's, like, staring at him mad, and he goes, what the hell are you looking at, you little ginger-haired fuck? <laughs> like, he's just he's pissed Relentless. off at these hippies. Yes. So, uh, it's a fun scene. It is. Um, so eventually, you know, Tex had the gun, kind of like, but he wasn't ever really going to shoot him, I don't think. But they drive away, or at least down back down the driveway, um, and they kind of start joking around um, about how they realized that that was Rick Dalton, the guy that played Jake Cahill in Bounty Law. And Tex kind of going off around about how he had him on a lunchbox. It was his favorite lunchbox, and they couldn't believe they just got yelled at by Rick Dalton. Um, and then that... I don't ha- I just call her white little white face like Cliff Booth <laughs> referred to as but she's like tripping hard oh, on yeah. the back like and she's talking about now how what if we kill the people who taught us to kill you know referring to like all the cowboy shows and stuff that show people killing people all the time and they just start eating that shit up like yeah yeah she ends the statement it, it, with where are we man fucking hollywood i say we cut their cocks off and make them eat it yeah just completely and she's like depraved. doing the she's doing like the fucking hollywood man yeah, like she's getting real into it real so. hard like it's like hyde talking about the car it. that runs on water in that 70s yeah. show yeah. <laughs> yeah um so anyway yeah they get out of the car they've decided that they're gonna go back up and like you know 
start killing people. Uh, but then we get uh, Maya Hawk is her name. I, I did not write down her character name in the movie because it's I don't know if they ever really say it. Um, but she's Ethan Hawk's daughter. She's with him, but she kind of flakes out. Uh, says she left her knife in the car, and Tex gives her the keys to go back in and get it. But she totally just takes off and leaves him there. I dig it. <laughs> I, I, like, I, it's a nice little twist on like not all of Charlie's supporters thought everything he was doing was uh, right smart. Mm-hmm. You know, like it just kind of proved some of them still have brains. Um, but yeah, I, I really like the whole dip out, and they're just like, "What the hell?" <laughs> you yeah. Know? But then like completely still willing to oh, try yeah. to accomplish you know what they came there to do which is still also terrifying um but anyway so they're kind of like decided to keep walking up cliff returns with brandy um he starts to make her dinner for the night and i i, I just like notice at one point he just starts feeling it <laughs> yeah the acid he <laughs> he pours the food and he literally just goes whoa <laughs> <laughs> this is probably these like you know before the climax these like five minutes might be my favorite brad pitt of all time well every movie you get someone tripping in you always get like color around whatever and see what they see shit here you just kind of had to rely on brad pitt's reactions yes you didn't get the 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 frontal view here right yeah it's all coming from outside his body yeah we didn't get any inside visual cues for sure um but yeah, he goes to like turn on the light and he just gets like blinded. Ah! And he like turns that shit off. He's just like dying in the kitchen. It's just hilarious. Um I don't know. I just I love that so much. He's just this is the best scene I think of his in the movie cuz he's just so out of it. Um yeah. But at this time Rick is just chilling in the pool, jamming out to music and uh his wife Francesca's in the bedroom trying to sleep. Um and now we get the hippies moving back in. Um, they're sneaking around the house. Uh, Tex tells the the brunette girl to try to sneak around and find a back entrance. Um, and him and the the orange haired girl start going towards the front. And Cliff just like starts cranking music. Wakes oh, up. Oh, she's so loud. So loud. Like he <laughs> just doesn't give a shit. <laughs> no. And Francesca like wakes up, you know, in a panic, not really sure what's going on. And um, yeah. I said, what comes next is open for discussion. So they, well, you got something it was before the that? Ter- it was just, it, well, w- one thing I wanted to establish is that Brad Pitt's dog obeys when he tells him to eat. Yes. We didn't ever establish that, so just, for no reason I want to establish that. Well, yeah, for no reason. it wasn't like, it's, yeah. they made a point to show in the beginning, like, he makes her wait for food, like, so she knows signals, so we got that. Yeah, um, yeah. So the hippies break in. Um, <laughs> Cliff is just like tripping so hard. At first, he's just like looking at him. He's like, "Are you real?" And text and he, and he text replies lying. with, "I'm as real as a donut, motherfucker." <laughs> and then we get the greatest laugh in the history of cinema. <laughs> yeah, no, I I don't even know if I'm gonna try it, oh, but like man. Brad Pitt's laugh is phenomenal. It's so good. <laughs> And he, like, pointing a fake gun at him because Tex has the gun on him. It's just hilarious. Um, the ginger girl goes and brings Francesca out of the room because Tex told her to. Uh, so she's got her in the living room. And then all of a sudden Cliff starts to recognize, like, 
that he's seen all of them at the ranch before. We get another great scene. It's just like Cliff asking, he's like, he's like, oh, you're, I remember that white face and that orange hair. And then he goes to text, and you were on a horsey. And he's like, yeah. what was your name? And he's just like, Tex just replies with, the devil here to do the devil business. <laughs> Which Cliff goes, nah, something dumber than that. <laughs> like, Rex. Well, and, and, the, and the seriousness behind that is that was the actual line he said when he killed Sharon Tate. Right. So that uh that was a, a big point and then t- for him to just be like nah it was something dumber than yeah that. it was really funny right really good just to kind and, of and- you know bring light into what we we've now know probably at this point that we're going to avoid you know the horrible yeah. thing we all thought might be coming but yeah anyway so um he's about to shoot him which then we see Cliff give Brandy the signal. She attacks, starts just chewing on Tex big time. Yeah. Brutal. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely terrible. Right. And we see uh, Cliff with an all time quarterback throw chuck the full can of Wolf's Tooth dog food right into the face of the brunette hippie. I, I feel like it almost <sighs> knocked that chick out if this were. Oh real. my God. Well, so bad. Um, I've dropped a can on my foot before and I'm in pain for a long time. Like, God, that, like, the way it dented her face and she just started screaming, it was like total Tarantino. I mean, right. up to this point, it's probably been one his most mellow movie. Yeah, yeah violence yeah, wise, ba- for sure. This was the, the big end. Right. You know? And you, like, knew it was coming. It's just you didn't know whether it was going to be the, in the form of if he was really going to go the Tate way or. You know, we'd get something like this, and I'm so glad we got something like this. Um, yeah. So anyway, Francesca punches the ginger girl while the one girl's crawling on the floor. Brandy is just fucking chewing nuts on Tex right now. <laughs> yep. And what we see Rick do after, or sorry, Cliff, he gets kind of tackled by the ginger girl and gets stabbed in the hip, which he pokes at the knife like still tripping on acid scott thoughts on the face smashing well first he curb stomped texas face right into oblivion but the the phone smash scene was perfect like it, it <laughs> i mean it, he he hits her twice and then like 17 more times into different objects but it's just like that brutal tarantino kill you're kind of looking for right this was the one the one where it finally so. like really dented her face in and got me like under my skin was when he smashed her face into like the stone mantle on the fireplace oh, yeah God. it, it yeah. was just Real- ugh, unsettling completely over the top violence which he's known for and just at the same time satisfying in all the right ways <laughs> you yeah. know you're just like oh my god these guys are just getting exactly what they deserve um but so after he deals with those two, uh, the one she gets up screaming, right, wielding the knife, and she kind of like crashes through the glass. Right. Rick or Cliff at this point is like kind of passed out a little bit from the gunshot. It, it, the I think the gunshot went off, and then he just passed. Right, out. and scares the dog off her. Yeah. Yeah. So she runs out, crashes through the glass to an oblivious, oblivious Rick Dalton floating around oh, in his great. pool. <laughs> 
Um, he whips off his music and he's like, what the fuck? And then she just crashes into the pool and she starts just popping the gun off in the air and he just freaks the fuck out. Um, yeah, we see him get out, go over to his tool shed and sure as shit comes out with the flamethrower from the 14 fists of McCluskey. Yes. (laughs) Proverbial fist bump time. Like... And absolutely cooks her in the pool. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. just, it, a, he comes out, he walks out, and it's got, they, they play like some heroic music to go with it, and he just fucking lights her up. Unreal. Yeah, it's 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 just fun because like it seems like a culmination of, uh, you know, kind of Rick's acting career. Like he worked hard to make sure the flamethrower worked you know like it was a tough scene for him but then he finishes off this movie like showing i've got this shit now like <laughs> it doesn't even scare me anymore so i i really liked that final kill well and it's kind of interesting too because you hear a lot about like actors who take souvenirs from their own movies and yet the the thing that he somehow walked away with from a movie set was a functioning flamethrower yeah <laughs> who knows yeah. Yeah, he maybe keeps in the 60s you were able to get away with a little bit more I think. yeah yeah i don't know yeah <laughs> um but anyway so he cooks her in the pool and she so now the hippies are dead they're fucked um the ambulance shows up wheels up cliff they're wheeling him out of the house on the stretcher and he just and away we go <laughs> he Again. drops another line of just pure insanity um rick it's just weird they kind of like he's kind of happy he doesn't really ever like thank him i thought this was like kind of odd like cliff never really got any recognition for kind of like saving the day which you can say is parallel to his acting career all he ever did was stand in for another guy and was not supposed to stand out yep yeah that's a good way to put it like i mean even rick you know he calls him a good friend, you know, eventually at the end when he's when he's leaving down the road in the in the ambulance. But like Cliff's just telling him to go watch after his lady. Rick's kind of dismissive of that and just, you know, making sure he's OK. But even then, I never really like thanks him, you know, said he'll visit him in the hospital the next day. I just it's just a little odd, I think, for the way it was handled. I think the coming up to the window at the end saying you're a good friend cliff i think that was his thank you you know like and and um it's kind of a shame that brad pitt was pretty looped up because he just goes i try you know like but it it seemed like the perfect ending for the two of them right i think so anyway rick's now standing outside um he hears somebody ask him if everyone's okay it's jc bring over at sharon tate's gate um and they kind of go over what happened you know rick talking about like how the hippies tried to kill him the buddy and his dog got two of them and he said <laughs> he's like i fucking torched the other one and then <laughs> jc brings kind of like torched he's like well yeah i got a flamethrower in my tool shed <laughs> and then he kind of and then yeah go ahead well and jay's just like jay's like from the 14th fifth of a cluster like and that's kind of their you know first moment of of knowing each other but i just wanted to come back uh when he's like is everybody okay and he goes well the fucking hippies aren't that's for god <laughs> like he yeah, <laughs> still, still hammer down the got, fact that they've been completely fucked up yeah 
he's still got that hatred and i love it yes. he, he very consistent throughout the movie for sure so. um but yeah and then sharon tate um messages down on the kind of the intercom and kind of asks what's going on and she her and rick start talking you know she asks him how he is he says she's he's fine um and she invites him up for a drink and we get like this scene where the gate like opens like to heaven you know almost yeah and like yeah. Jay Sebring even gave him like the thumbs up and everything. And it's like, this to me is then like the turning point he was looking for, you know, what he, what he was hoping for in the beginning of the movie, like his one chance. I don't know. Unless you guys have something else to like, kind of. No, I think your description no, I mean, was really apt. Right. Yeah. Like it's, it's basically, you know, this is the end of his story. You know, this was his big break per se even though he's had one already but it like kind of revives his career a little bit right and i think that's kind of you know when the credits roll and it says once upon a time and like pauses and it says in hollywood i think we're supposed to you know try to really understand that like yep rick got his chance to maybe star in the next big movie and you know might save his career right well any thoughts scott um, do you want me to lead off with my score, or should we go to uh, Mr. Pouty Pants? No, let's sandwich me in between the two people who loved the movie. Okay, I'll go first. I'll go first. Anthony and I have discussed this movie a, a little bit. Not a, not a ton, but we tend to throw around the word masterpiece. Mm. Just a little bit. And Jim, I know you're cringing at that, but like uh, the discussion we were just able to have on that movie, and the open ends that like exist in this movie i think it's a 10 i like i've done a 10 on this show this pod before but like this is a hard 10 for me because i enjoy every second of the movie the only thing i didn't like was charlie manson in the movie and that's a really minor thing for for me like it was a little 30 second blurb whatever but like i don't think enough credit is given to how like humanizing he makes Sharon Tate and like how the story isn't directly on her but like it still kind of seems like this is an ode to Sharon Tate so um it's just a 10 for me mainly because of the incredible acting the entire time all the actors are incredible all the actors and actresses are incredible uh but definitely because of the buddy relationship between Brad Pitt and Leo DiCaprio like that's I could watch any movie where the two of them are best friends and I would probably rank them all a 10 <laughs> because I just love their dialogue. I love the two of them. And, um, you know, it's a 10. So, Jim, I've been waiting for this. Come on. Uh, I don't know, guys. I mean, Sharon Tate was more of a distraction in the movie than she was actually part of the story, which frustrated me the whole time. There were large portions where while random characters were just driving around and you heard some music, yeah, it set the scene, but my God, it felt like that was half an hour of the total runtime. While technically well-made and obviously well-acted, I just don't care about this story. It's a four. Oh! And, and the alternate history God. piece here... Again, and this is, this is my own problem, and I recognize that, but because I didn't know anything before doing my research about Sharon Tate and the Manson murders, the, the catharsis you guys are talking about at the end when you feel this relief that the hippies get killed, I felt none of that. 
Right. Because mm. I, it hadn't been so ingrained in my mind that Sharon Tate was supposed to die. And again, coupled with my frustration that Margot Robbie had such a minimal amount of screen time to show off how great of an actress she is and how great of, I think she played a really great Sharon Tate from the minimal amount that I know about her was incredibly frustrating. Mm. Not bad. Finish us off. Uh, Well, we kind of get how I feel. Um, It's, it's a 10 for me. (laughs) It's, a top three Tarantino movie for me. No spoilers for an, an earlier thing. It might be my favorite one, honestly. I, It gets better to me every time I watch it. I don't know. In parts where it drags, I just don't know how to explain. Like, the first time I saw it, there's, there's like, two movies I remember seeing in theater that, like, really hit me in a, like, different way. It was this. It was Interstellar, which we'll probably watch and talk about sometime. Um, and this, like... The thing about this movie is, like, I got so lost in it in a good way or in a way that I enjoyed where it wasn't just Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Like, I – and this might come back because, like, I love westerns and, like, I'm a huge fan of the spaghetti western movies. Like, I love all of the Sergio Leone, like, Clint Eastwood movies. Um, And so, like, not so much just getting lost on set as he's filming that – episode of bounty law or an episode of lancer like i just forgot that i was watching like a movie and got so involved in the story itself and like it just i thought it was really well done the way they did it um and basically yes leo and brad's chemistry was so good like part of me was so excited to see this movie because those two were in it together and they didn't disappoint um and then just any typical like tarantino niches he's so good at with his soundtrack and just setting you in the time frame i just thought it was you know i'm not gonna call it a perfect movie but i will rate it a 10 because i just i thoroughly enjoyed it and i think to me it just gets better every time i watch it so oh all right and rolling right with that we're gonna do our a quick top three tarantino because boy did this review get long but you know what i think i I think it was worth it jim probably sitting in the corner saying this is the worst night of his life that's not true um i i I think we should start with jim are we starting number one or number three you're gonna just do them all so you can pick which order you want okay well we'll start with number three uh it in preparation for this pod i have not seen all of tarantino's movies but including Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, this past week I watched three Tarantino movies. Wow. Whoa, Dead of Fucking Cage. Wa- well, I watched two and three quarters. I watched three quarters of Hateful Eight. My mm. God, is that movie boring? Um, it is. That one's not in my top three. Um, I watched Reservoir Dogs, which is mm, my number three Tarantino movie. It is yes. also a four out of ten, but Jesus I have Christ. more interest in rewatching that than Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Can you can you can, can you listen to Stuck in the Middle with you anymore after that uh, ear cut off? Absolutely, scene? it's still a great song. Yeah. Oh man, I can't. It's weird. That that scene is the best one of the movie, though. I think. Absolutely. Awesome, Michael Mad. Michael Madsen's incredible in that scene. Okay, so that was my number three uh, favorite Tarantino. Uh, Number two is Django Unchained, and we got a big jump in score here. Um, I yes. haven't watched it since I started really keeping track of my ratings, but I believe in my mind that's probably a seven or an eight. 
Um, mm-hmm. Another great performance by Leo. Jamie Foxx is absolutely amazing in it as Django. Awesome. Um, really, really enjoy that movie. I can't watch it often because it, it, sometimes Tarantino's violence is a little too off-putting for me, so I can't watch that movie a lot. Um, but finally, my number one is Inglorious Bastards. This movie's a 9 out of 10, period. Amazing Brad Pitt role this time as yes, uh, Lieutenant is. Aldo Rain. Uh, but it, <laughs> this time the alternate history works because I, I feel like so many more people have a really hard set idea of World War II and how they obviously how they feel about Hitler and stuff. So like it, it lends itself. I didn't need to do this pre-research, which then ended up like spoiling the movie for me or like taking away the focus of the movie for me. Right, which which I think yeah. just works so much better on a topic that is so much more widely held. Yeah. Okay. I'll I'll go second, Anthony, and I'll say I'll save you for, okay. for last year. Um, number three for me is actually going to be Django as well, and unfortunately, my list isn't that much different than Jim's. But all these movies are tens. I'm just gonna throw that out there right now. I think every single one of them is a ten, and my number two movie is actually going to be Inglorious Bastards. So, leaving my number one movie, which Jim has refused to finish, somehow, is Pulp Fiction. Oh, yeah. I could watch I could watch Pulp Fiction probably every single day and pick something else up on it and also just not get bored with it. Um, there's a couple scenes in that movie where I'm kind of like, maybe I should shut my eyes here. The Ving Rhyme scene comes to mind um that's very disturbing but the the on-screen chemistry we talk about with brad pitt and leo i think is very on par with john travolta and samuel L. jackson because like their argument with like the whole big kahuna burger and like just the foot rub i love so much about those two's dialogue together um so that's number one and believe it or not once upon a time in hollywood is not on this list and that's just an ode to how great tarantino is Hmm. to me so anthony your list my list all right so i kind of spoiled it um it's not gonna quite cop number one so number two is this movie we just did once upon a time in hollywood um but like i said it it, to me i enjoy it like the more i watch it because i just pick up on little more more and more nuances about it and just have a great time um number three and like scott said like usually my top like five tarantino movies i just consider tens so number three though is kill bill volume one nice um i fucking love the scene where she fights the crazy 88s like in the fucking you know the 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 palace scene and she just cutting off limbs left and right i love that part two is still good not as good though in my opinion um but yeah, that's uh, that's my number three. So Pulp Fiction actually falls out of the top three, but it's still a great movie. Um, number one is Inglorious Bastards. I can't. Oh, such a good movie. I cannot. To me, that is Tarantino's masterpiece. Brad Pitt even alludes to it in one of his dialogue at the end of the movie when he cuts up Christoph Waltz's forehead and he goes, "You know what, Udovich? This might be my masterpiece." You don't tell me that Tarantino didn't put that in there for some reason. I think he. Yeah. I think many people think that is, and I think that is one of his personal favorite movies, in my opinion, because he 
he just that movie is so incredible. The scene in the basement with the mm-hmm. guns pointed at each other's nutsacks is just it's fucking incredible. The tension throughout that scene and just various parts of the movie is so good. Like to me that's my number one. I think Christopher Walsh should have quit acting after that movie because <laughs> his performance in that, like the multi languages He's like, never gonna top it. It's no no it's incredible and, and he like, was very good switch... and he was very good in Django. don't get me wrong yeah yeah yeah, yeah but, but it wasn't even on nothing. this level like no right. no no it it was that good so yeah. okay that concludes our tarantino top three and jim i feel like it's the perfect time to talk about what we're gonna do next week not only because i love it but tomorrow is the fucking Mandalorian finale. We're recording on a Thursday night, and I am like a kid on Christmas for this finale tomorrow. <laughs> like, I'm so fucking fired up. But, Jim, what are we watching next uh, week? Like you said, very topical. Next week is Star Wars Episode Five: The Empire Strikes yes. Back. And, oh, I can't contain my excitement. I, I don't yeah. want to telegraph my top three Star Wars movies, but there's a strong feeling this might be in it. <laughs> well, I, is, I, it, is it a real list if you don't include this movie? I mean, many would argue no, but yeah. everyone's allowed to have their own opinions. They are. Star Whether or not Wars they're wrong me, is another conversation. Star Wars to me is also very generational. Like, Scott, I would not yeah. argue against either one of us, actually, if we had any of the prequels in it, just because that's what we grew up with. You know, it's, yeah. it's very different. And then now the new god the newer ones you know some you know the kids that grew up watching that they could think very heavily about those which we'll discuss i'm sure all right all right let's let's make this let's let's make a little advertisement for next week because i've got one in each of the trilogies in my top three yeah uh and i think one of them is really gonna shock you but god that's my own opinion um i yeah, you already know what it's going to be, don't know don't you? for sure, but... No? No? Okay. All right. Well, you'll find out next week. If it's week. what That's I think, I'm just going to tear you apart. Keep... I don't think you can. I have a great argument, okay. and I've already thought of it. So um, bring it on, I guess. Um, but yeah, Jim, uh, what are we watching? Wait, no. Actually, sorry. Guys, I have a question. Hmm. Why so serious? Oh, I feel like you're leading into something for the following week. Why? So <laughs> I can't do it. God. Okay. Um, week, week, uh, not week 16, episode 16. Is that right? Yeah, that well, is we're doing right. Weekly, it's going to so be also week 16. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, that, that'll make sense. Um, we are doing the dark Knight and, Boys, I fucking love this movie so much. Uh, Heath Ledger, need I say more? Uh, but yeah, it's week 16, we're doing The Dark Knight, and I have an announcement that on next week about what we'll be watching in week 17, because uh, we haven't decided yet. So that's just being honest. I was just going to think of something fun there, but I couldn't think of anything. Like, on the spot, I thought of a lot of our movies in the past. Just tried to, couldn't do it, didn't work. Was gonna say seventeen again, but decided in my head like Jesus. that can't, that can't happen. <laughs> so, so um, Jim, where can you reach us 
uh, in the social media sphere. As always, you can tweet us or follow us at weave underscore scene underscore that. Like us on Facebook or email us at scene that podcast at gmail.com. Again, that's S C E N E that podcast at gmail.com. Uh, Scott's offer for shout outs still stands. Of course it does. For two minutes, two minutes, which is like 30 seconds of him trying to figure out ways to run down the clock. Right. Yeah. Uh, one more thing. I love you, honest, Giannis Antetokounmpo, so much. I just wanted to throw <laughs> that in there. As a, a, a Bucks fan who's had a stressful last month here, I love you. There you go. Just needed to, th- needed to throw that in there. Um, as always, thank you for listening to our 14th episode of the We've Seen That podcast. Coming up on 15 next week, boys. I'm it's the excited. last episode of the year next week. Oh, mm-hmm. is it? Is yeah, it, it really? is. Well, it will be. Like, as in that's when we release right. it we'll still be record so we're gonna have to record in the future type scenario uh, i you know what i'm I'll, I'll explain what i never mind um uh, but <laughs> does that mean we have to say happy holidays this episode or next that episode? means we need to say happy holidays this episode right now uh, so merry christmas w- wait no no because well it depends wait Oh, wait, no, it will drop the 20. Okay, yeah. Happy holidays, everybody, uh, from your favorite podcast, sponsored by Marcus Theaters. <laughs> Thank you all for listening. We love doing this Thank for you. you. Have a great holiday. Yeah. Yeah, uh, for Christmas, maybe uh, next year you'll be buying yourself a uh, Cut the Music t shirt. Who knows? Yeah. All right, but thanks again for listening. I'm Scott. I'm Anthony. And I'm Jim. And roll credits. Roll credits.